Hey, what's up, Garrett? What's you doing, man? Figured I'd do a space where there's uh, zero bullshit. That's the way I saw your tweet, and that's the kind of bullshit I want to avoid. All, all the drama and zero UFOs, yet, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah, I can't even believe the shit what people will jump into, and I'm like, oh, man. So, yeah. Welcome, dude. You're welcome to come up here and talk. I just like to talk about the hitchhiker effect. Give me a second. I'm going to retweet some shit. I'll be right to back. Welcome, Matt. <clears throat> Sweet, Matthew Garrett. Nothing really, bro. I'm trying to. It's been a crazy month, so I'm trying to relax a lot. I took a long walk with my dog today, and it was really cool. Um, how about you, bro? How are you doing? How are you holding up? I mean, <laughs> Well, I guess it's it's a double double edged fucking sword, man. Life shit, but I'm not depressed. I'm doing well. I'm surviving, so I'm in a better place than I was. But it's funny because my place is pretty uh, reliant on the topic of UFOs. That's why I hate the drama and shit like that. You know, for a lot of us, we take this shit seriously. That's why we research it, and then. You go places and it's like, wait, this isn't, we're not talking about UFOs in here. What the hell's going on? What's up, Brett? Everybody? So, curious, man. What do you guys think about the hitchhiker effect, Garrett? In what, in what regard? Because I feel like uh, I have an opinion on it. I just want to get the uh, question to be a little more specific. Okay. Because sometimes people mean a lot of things that yeah. I understand so, it to be. And like, what's your definition of hitchhiker? So. Hitchhiker effect would be, well, I'm going to say that for me, the hitchhiker effect is the phenomenon, it's the theory of everything, you know, per se. Let's say the way I'm looking at it is this way. It both prevents our third eyes while also allowing individuals both to witness the same UFO and have a different experience. That's what I think of it. So... Okay, now let me just playing devil's advocate. Let me ask you, like, how does that work? Let me tell you, this is my understanding of okay. hitchhiker, and I want I want your take on it. So let's let's talk about the Uri Geller effect. That when Uri Geller would go on TV um, or talk shows and he would perform, people like watching at home from their televisions would report weird shit going on in their homes. So how does, in your head, when you see that, that tells me it's a consciousness thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it, what do you think? Um, and, and people are at liberty to not believe those stories because they're purely anecdotal and there's zero evidence of them. That's one little caveat. But I do believe these people that report having weird shit happen. I just think that the connection is more consciousness than it is um, like our third eye, so to speak. You know what I mean? But I, what's your opinion on that? When people report seeing something and then they like start seeing weird things in their homes or wherever, and they just happen to see something on TV. Like, how does that work? Oh, bro. I'm glad you asked that. So I posted a, in that thread about the candida. Um, basically, it's like a fungus that comes from yeast, right? So I picture it as a alien biotech that's a transponder the hitchhiker effect these things actually you know that loose siphoning 
they're siphoning energy off of us all the time. You can go through a actual protocol to get rid of them. And you have lucid dreams. You have your third eye opens, right? So here's one of the things I know for research, things like that. What you just made a comment about, I was coming to, and I completely forgot about the Geller effect. So I've been questioning for a while now. So this hitchhiker effect isn't passed. Like if you go into a room and you're near someone, I think it can ride the spectrum somehow. Imagine that. You just said that, watching them on TV. I think it can ride the spectrum. And that's one of the things that that's why this is the phenomenon. And if you kind of you kind of kind of scroll through some of the information, you start realizing that these transponders can be hijacked and reverse engineered and you they can take your energy. They can also blind you. So these things what they do is they set themselves up in your body. You don't know they're there. As a matter of fact, back in the day, you can go look at some of the research, some of the different things they would take that I now know actually get rid of candida, actually prophets and things like that took. And it would explain why some locations have shamans because those locations have a lower uh, amount of this candida uh, fungi, right? And I completely, dude, that was a great question because I did completely forgot about the Gary Geller effect. And I've actually been talking about, because here's the other thing, both the theory of it, well, the theory of everything, the hitchhiker effect is the same as Havana syndrome. If you use radiation and you tweak this radiation and you point it at a guy, a guy's head, a human, woman, whatever you want, specifically tweaked and you get that candida excited, you know what it does? Brain melt, all the symptoms of Havana syndrome. This candida can also be used on children to quiet their third eye, let's say when they retire at the age of 12, so that they're not just melting shit with their face. So this fungi, and I'm sure you've heard these other places, right? But this fungi is an alien biotech in my eyes. And humans are also utilizing it. You can go to, uh, think about, uh, what was it, Russia? Do you remember when they dug a bunch of shit out of a uh, that nuclear facility that was closed down right after the end of the war, right? They took a whole bunch of dirt. So all Russia really has to do is find a weapon that shoots radiation, tweak it to target this candida. And what you get is the symptoms of Vanna syndrome. But not just that. This candida, this it's not just a biological, because like I'm saying, it's a transponder and your comment hits a nail on the head. I've been asking myself, I said, this shit, this hitchhiker affects more than just nearby people being next to someone. It's riding the electromagnetic spectrum in some way. So I, I 100% agree with that, actually. And I, I wish I would have put that in that thread. So that was a good fucking point, bro. Yeah. So can, wait, so can I ask you then, doesn't openness and believing in that even being a possibility have to do with the thing occurring at all? That's one thing that I've, I've taken away the more I've read about Kuharik and like John Alexander and these different experiences, especially in South America, is that the person's openness to a certain event, let's say possession, quote unquote, like there's cultures that absolutely swear up and down, you could be possessed. I think that's something that's ridiculous. And I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but like the idea of that to me, the whole way I've lived my life and raised, understand scientifically, that's not even in the cards. Like people better get some evidence if that's the uh, case. And I've read cases about it and I've seen people like speak languages they were unable to speak. And uh, 
like a lot of things that I really can't explain. And I'm, I'm left with a lot of questions. So I don't think it's not that there's a there there. I'm just saying that it, I agree it appears with you. the people that are most open towards those things to, in their culture are going to report those things happening. And I think that's something that's like intrinsically tied to this. And it makes it extremely difficult to research because usually those people's beliefs will be hurt a lot just by people's inquiry. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Let's take that, what you just said, because I agree with it, right? And apply it to the fact Project Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch is a PSYOP, all right? So really? What oh, brother. On whose behalf? Oh, it's it's an elf bed, elf test bed. Now, let, let me talk back to where we were at, right? So imagine this. Would Who you go there if you got the chance? Oh, yeah, I would. Okay, same. I was yeah. talking about that the other day. So, I would in a heartbeat. What, so what do you mean? Do you? Th I thought that it, it would be a place that would be considered a, 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 what John Keel would call a window area, where well, it has a I, lot I'm of not like, magnetic say that's anomalies not... and stuff. Like that's That was my understanding. That's what guys like Travis Taylor seem to indicate. But it's so hard because the stuff they release out of there is so sparse, you know, like they don't really make it really available. So I'm not surprised that a lot of conspiracy theories are floating yep. around about it just because of the. it's really secret. I, I think this here's the pieces I put together for this puzzle. What is it? Uh, what's the name of the individual who had that thing happen with his head while he was there? Right. That's an elf thing, right? That's a reaction to the elf. Now, with elf I don't technology, know what you're talking about. Oh, uh, somebody had got hurt it, there. No, yeah, this individual who had this huge swelling in his brain. Talk about it all the time on the seasons. Oh, I interviewed him. I can't remember his name right now. But he had this monstrous... It's winter. Was it winters? It doesn't matter. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, my point being, with elf technology and this candida, and you just made a comment about only kind of the people who believe. Who goes to Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah. When those people are at Skinwalker Ranch, they already have this candida on them. If we had the technology to excite and do these things, right? Here's the really crazy thing. Candida would also explain why four individuals can all see the same craft and have a different experience because of biological processes. Um, they talk about in the book, uh, Skinwalker Ranch, the original book, uh, who was it that was in there in the, um, and he was like in the kitchen sitting at a table and he saw something appear. This is all things that can be done by radiating these candida. Do you see what I'm saying? And like I said, this is all just not necessarily working theory, but I'm piecing stuff together and it makes sense to me because like you just said, there's only certain people that go to Skinwalker and those people are the ones that see shit. Yeah, but I got to be honest there too. Is like I see, I know a tremendous amount of people that report going there and having nothing happen and being kind of like, oh, well, you know what I'm saying? It takes the wind out of their sails. So there's a, there's a spectrum of people that talk about it, but there's also a really wide window of the people that are exploring there and going there because like, you got to be honest, bro, the average everyday Joe can turn on history channel now and possibly watch that when they're just staying at a hotel or when they're just like out of town somewhere. So a lot of the exposure to, towards pe people are less ignorant about it, I should say. So naturally, the more the internet and the way like our world operates, the more people are going to learn about that place and why it might be special. But uh, my my understanding of the people that go there is like I know the stories about NIDS and I've tried to read as much about that as possible. And the, the research Bigelow had going and his experience and Travis Taylor's experience, like real interesting stuff's been said. 
Um, but I still have like so many questions, bro. And Fugel, I think is a really good guy, but I also feel like he's in a weird situation where it seems like even he's being told he can't say some of the things that he's discovered on this ranch. So now I'm like, well, now we're putting like, you know what I'm saying? Now that that's a damper on science. Like now we can't uh, share it with each other and ask questions about it. It's just kind of locked away. And that's one of the things that's frustrating about skinwalkers because it, it's definitely not uh, a pit because they're spending money and people are like really interested in the area, but it's also like, you know what I'm saying? They got to share it with everybody so we can actually ask questions and see if it's, um, I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I agree with quite a bit of what you're saying, but one of the things I keep asking myself, and like I said, you brought up the Uri Geller effect the other day, and that's straight up the hitchhiker effect and that's straight up Candida. And so if these individuals are on this ranch and only the individuals that really kind of believe you're saying it's a fungi thing. Oh yeah. I'm saying it's a fungi that comes really? from yeast. Yeah. As a matter of fact, called? I'm going to search for it. Um, it's on my Twitter too. It's it's Candida. Let me figure the last fucking name of it out, but I'll post it here in a second in the, in the thread. Right. And I actually have a bunch of papers I put into a, an article. Actually real quick. Let me just do it right now. So you're not having to look for it. Let me just put it in the nest. Uh, sorry, man. Right here it is. All right, it's up in the nest right now. But so in my head, I'm thinking this. You talked about the Urigel effect, individuals that typically the ones that believe they get this right. Well, not all individuals have the same amount of candida, have these things in there. So maybe they won't experience this right when they're there. Radiation applied to this fungi can do a lot of things that the experience does. Matter of fact, that's why individuals will have a shared experience, but a different experience it explains that. Also, what do you mean by that? What's a shared experience, but a different So let's experience? say you and I both see a UFO, but we both say okay. different things. Biologicals would explain that, right? Our chemistry would explain that process. So you know how Gary Nolan talks about that? He says, you know, five individuals saw this craft, but each one had a different explanation of what it looked like. That's because our biological processes are different. And these candida, the way they're inside of us, and whenever they're perturbed or by the radiation does something different. It, I imagine if you got the radiation process down and tweaked it enough, you could get them to see whatever you wanted, which would explain the phenomenon in a lot of aspects, right? Why some people see it, some don't. Sure, but Shane, you got to be honest. Is like, what, what makes the place Skinwalker, it has to have something to do with the planet itself and where certain <laughs> shit is on the planet. Because if it's what you're saying, I feel like you could just replicate it in a lab or like, why would they even need to be at Skinwalker at all? You, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like the people that own all those ranches up and down that area, all it's not just Skinwalker. They all report having weird shit happen. I I don't know, dude. I have a lot of questions still. Like, I appreciate you, and I, I, I encourage you to keep reading about it. But, like, I don't know, man. I still really have a lot of questions about that place. And That's all right, Garrett, because I was on that train for a long time. But I'm going to say that it's us, not aliens, because, you know, that – frequency that they're always talking about there that's a that's a military frequency matter of fact you take these this radiation you can actually tweak it and you got havana syndrome so this candida is so many aspects of the phenomenon brain melt all these other things and it also explains for example the closing of some people's third eye let's say you take the you know these star kids space kids that we discussed well how do they get them to shut off that shit? 
Well, Candida would explain one of them. So, and no, I appreciate, dude, you're welcome to argue, disagree with me all you want. You never have to apologize. That's so what do you, I, what do you, <laughs> I got you, bro. I appreciate you. What, when you say third eye, what do you think? And I know that people want to talk, so we can get to like people talking. I appreciate you, Shane. But like, when you say third eye, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because so my understanding is guys like Gary Nolan talk about that basal ganglia and caudate putamen. And that sounds like when people say third eye, they always talk about like your pineal gland and how our pineal gland is calcified. And those people always disappoint me. Like they never back up what, so like if you have something or, or if, if you're conflating them and you're talking about the same thing um, or if it's something a little different, what, what's your opinion on that? Cause the, the part of the brain, I, my understanding was it was the caudate putamen that was interesting about these individuals that Nolan was looking at, but I could be wrong. No. Yes, so we each have our own personal transponder. When I say the candida, those are alien transponders. Transponders. Those are harvesting our loosh. That's where that term comes from, right? By loosh, it's sucking off energy, and it's closing said third eye because it's sucking off energy. Um, does that make any sense? These candida, what they do is they're basically alien transponders feeding an, an alien hive mind, which that alien hive mind talks back and forth. Cryptococcus neoformans. Thank you. That's the best way to do it. Cryptococcus neosformans is the way I should be saying it. Someone corrected me, and I appreciate you, man. So these things are talking back and forth to the phenomenon, causing us to see this, that, and the other. Those actually draw from our caudeputamen. I do believe that's our third eye, our, our transponder. And what that's doing is closing it down. Less energy you have there, the less you can do that with. Matter of fact, I, I've got a paper in that thread that talks about the distance of the human, the actual human aura, what it can be. The amount of energy a man, a human, or can output without these things allows for basically a natural neural network. So these, these, I'm not going to say the word again. I'll mess it up. But they are basically a natural neural network. They're not ours, mind you. They're alien biotech, is what they are. And they've been here forever, and they're hidden in yeast. And let's get around the room though, real quick. So was it octopus? Yeah, uh, so you kind of got to what oh. I was. Sorry, I just wanted to say the guy's name is Thomas Winterton. Yes, it is. Thomas Winterton. I interviewed him. He had his head kind of, something happened to his head. That's an right. elf thing in yeah, my opinion. Swelling. Yes. All right, go ahead, uh, Octopus. Yeah, I, you kind of got to what I was going to say. I th When you were first describing the Candida thing, I, I thought it was, um, you were saying that it was like helping us some, but you kind of got back to it where it was, it's more suppressing our, our, our uh, natural abilities. And um, I I've, if I, Scott or Seth's here now, he can talk much better on it than I can. Um, but he's got a very, very thorough protocol for getting rid of this stuff. And um, it's, it, so he, if you look at his research, it basically suppresses our natural DMT systems, which, you know, don't let us um, communicate with how we normally should be able to with the wider universe. Um, but yeah, like I said, Seth can, could go into way more detail than I could, but I just, I, you kind of corrected what, or said what I was going to say anyway. Yeah, I should have corrected that. So it's blocking us, but the reason I said it and it may, I leave it a little bit open. All I think about now is we can reverse engineer that. You can oh. turn that from a demon into part of our fucking third eye. Imagine that extra power, extra receptors, extra transponders. Right. 
That, yeah, yeah. No, it's blocking our shit. That's let me make that clear. It's preventing, and it's actually, you know, the hitchhiker effect. It's it's blocking that third. And the reason I say blocking that third eye, I think that third eye consciousness is the key to the phenomenon. All of this stuff. So, who is up next? By the way, I am taking Seth's protocol. I mean, I'm taking the protocol right now. Actually, I got the fucking pills in my hand. I'm getting ready to take my first ones. So if you haven't got a chance, check out. Uh, he's in here right now, right? Yes, he is. Seth Perfison. So check it out. I'm telling you. I, if you want to come up and talk, Seth, you're welcome to. I know you've got the info on this. I mean, I learn a shitload from you about this subject, and it all kind of makes sense. So who was next? Was it Ray or Adam? I had my hand up, too, and I just... Can I just say something real quick? I've, I've known about Candida my entire adult life. And as a woman, it's a very common thing. So I, I don't know. I missed something very important here because I don't understand Candida in the way you're talking about it, Shane, and the way women understand it in their bodies. Women and men both have it in their bodies. And what I'm saying right. is picture as a fungus or a parasite. And this fungus or parasite, it draws energy from our body. That so from time to time you get a candida infection. It's a common thing for women. Yes. So so what does that have to do with this? What's this? Are you talking about the hitchhiker effect? What, yeah. I'm really like, oh, maybe you came in late. I explained I all this. I think so. I may I have to explain so. it again. But let's Yo, get no, room and I still reach. don't understand what it was, though. Like, when you say third eye, you're losing me a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. Because, like, if we, if you do mean, like, your pineal gland, I know someone brought up DMT. And, like, I don't, I don't understand what exactly claim you guys are making. Are you saying that, like, there's something actively, like, yeah, it blocks DMT. This First is off, on everybody? And how yes. would I even detect that it's happened to me, for example, or you? Or, like, how would one go about doing, proving that? You got to take some DMT. Yeah. No, it's, it's that. Uh, or the protocol, right? So if you did, like this protocol, right, it gets rid of this, this, this candida. Now, what I'm trying to say is, whatever our transponder ends up being, it's hijacking energy from said transponder. It prevents, when I say third eye, like I said, oh, Seth's in here. Somebody, sorry, somebody messaged me. So what it's doing is it's kind of hijacking us, and it it would be the hitchhiker effect. It draws enough energy from whatever you want to call the third eye, wherever that third eye is, that it closes it. Now, on top of that, because of our biological makeups, we all have it in us. So we may see different things when we see the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Does that make any more sense? The thing is that the 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 candida is it colonizes everyone's whole bodies. It's not it's not it's something that's always in the air. It's all around us. It's yeah. it's impossible to get away from. Just because you don't have an infection, you still have a buttload of this candida in you. Matter exactly. of fact, you know the individuals that were shamans and things like that. I bet you they had a very specific diet, and that diet destroyed these yeast fungi. It's all in, it's all in, in encompassing and all introspective. That's the best way to describe it. 
is something that can make you review who you are, what you are, and where you are, and when you are, but at the same time, let you understand that, yeah, you're nothing. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a strange, I guess, phenomenon. Keep your questions coming, though, Garrett. I, I like the fact that you're asking them. Seth's running errands, so we can't talk right now. Sue, go ahead. Because, again, I'm just coming to these facts, right? Hitchhiker effect, um, Havana syndrome, all these things are related to that. Go ahead, Sue. Okay. A lot of babies, because I've worked with babies my whole life, get thrush, which is candida. And also, when you get on chemotherapy, that is the most likely thing you'll get is thrush or yeast infection of some kind. And I still don't have any clue how this relates to a phenomenon. I, I don't get it. I lost something. Would it change it for you if those were alien biotech that you didn't know? Yeah, but why Why is a baby going to have that? I mean, because we all have it, Sue. Yeah. But what is it? But it, what is, what is it doing with aliens? What do you mean, what is it doing with aliens? I don't know. I if, guess I need what to What I'm read, saying is this. Read if it's alien old. tech, it was put here for a reason. Probably not their good reason, considering what it prevents us from doing, right? The things that it stops us from doing, such as seeing with said third eye, or the shared experiences that tend up being different. And if you guys check the threads, that's putting a shitload of information in there right now about it. So you should, it, it's a lot easier to go through it. Garrett, you'll like that information, actually. It's a lot of medical papers and things like that. Um, but all of this is in our body at all times. That's not the issue. When this is around specific radiation, you get different reactions with the radiation. And those reactions all line up with like Havana syndrome, uh, UFO experiences. I bet you a human could tweak elf technology and get you to see whatever he wants you to see because these are in your body. Well, I had chemo and radiation. So how do you okay. think that reacted? I, well, I don't know, but it's got to be... Look, it's going to have to be tweaked a certain way. Radiation is not necessarily good for the stuff. Matter of fact, that's you know what Havana syndrome is, Sue? Yeah. Okay, brain melt, yep, migraines, yep, yep. things like yeah. that. When you yep. have these candida in your body, I'm going to say the name wrong. I mean, I'm not going to try it like that. But with said rate, all Russia or anybody has to do is point the gun at your head, excite it with the tweaked radiation frequency that needed, get it to do whatever they want. Go ahead, Garrett. Okay, so given everything you've just explained, what would you say to someone who claims to have had an experience with an entity or a being or whatever you'd like to call it, um, and they report a miraculous healing? I've heard countless stories of people that report this thing. To me, it sounds, okay, well, what, what's going on? Was it a placebo? Or what, what do you think of the healings that people report and... You, because I feel like the way you're describing it, it always sounds like there's a negative thing. Are there people that are unaffected by what you're describing? And what are examples of those people? I imagine there are people that are unaffected, but I think miraculous heal healings are a thing. But I also know that we have elf technology that can deliver medicine straight to your body. So imagine if you're able to do that, that's what that is. And 
So I'm also going to go on record right now. Project Zodiac, MK or Majestic 12, both of those, they fall under MK Ultra is all of this. Most of what we see is bullshit. It's a psyop to convince us that aliens are bad, to stop talking about aliens. And why? Because they don't want us looking for the hybrids. That's what this shit's about, man. That elf technology is a part of that. That elf technology has been so ingrained with us in the government. Those miracle healings, those are all dotted throughout history. We can do that shit right now. We can do amazing things with electro or extremely low frequency waves. Matter of fact, healing's one of the things we can do. We could probably repair a hip. We could deliver medication that's needed. All because we know exactly how to excite the atoms down to a specific level, metal atom level, probably, right? So, no, I don't disagree with you. I'm saying it's got to be tweaked specifically. It can't just be, let's say, one general radiation does everything, right? I imagine just like anything, you want it tweaked specifically, which I, I also think that there's a reason Russia took a shitload of dirt from, what was the name of the facility in uh, Ukraine that they ended up, they shoveled a lot of shitload of dirt out of, right? You can do some research on that and you'll see that they ended up doing that. They probably broke it down and realized if you touch this with this specific frequency, you get Havana. But that being said, why couldn't you hijack it, reverse engineer it, or elf it to help you or to benefit you? I'm not saying you can't. So, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that, Garrett, because I actually think they do. I think there's a little shadow war going on using this shit. Some are healing and some aren't. But who's, why are people getting healed and some not? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what is, I don't know. I feel like you're speaking really like, uh, think about a like third you know, party. You know think about things. a third I party. I this shit, bro. I read about this all day. And like, I don't know, dude. I feel like I would pump the brakes on sounding so sure about some of this. Like, they want us to argue about aliens and like, I don't know, bro. Like, I have a show about UFOs, and it's going okay. And people have been, like, super agree, supportive. And, like, I don't know, dude. I just have a different perspective, I guess. But And that's fine, man. I 100% agree. Matter of fact, you're one of my favorite – you're my favorite podcast. But I will say, MK Ultra, you, man. MK Ultra is the, the whole phenomenon. Scott Andrews is MK Ultra. I'll say that, yes, aliens are here. But the vast majority of what we see is – to, to hide the fact of what we've been doing with the programs, which you and I know, these super soldier programs, what are they had back in the day? So, yeah, we can disagree. Your podcast is still the goddamn best one out there because the well, effort and the, the research you put into that shit. Thank you, dude. I, I, the only thing with MK Ultra, which was a thing and did get like revealed and all that, why don't you like, they didn't they have the church committee and all that and like end it? And, like, that's why I'm concerned about, like, pointing the finger at them because, like, I feel like it would be inappropriate because it probably moved. And I don't even know. To, I feel weird speculating about that because I really don't know anything about that. You know what I mean? So, like, do you think that it was just something that, like, when you say MK Ultra, what does that mean? MK Ultra meaning, uh, meaning the processes of, let's say, anything to do with PSYOP. Right. The uh, the mind, any of the types of things, those programs we were talking about, Pegasus and all those others. Like, so this is something that I know now. I was actually. So I was an MK Ultra kid. And it'll be coming out a lot later. I'm not going to you don't have to believe me now. There'll be proof of that shit later. 
So I was in Project Looking Glass. The reason I don't have memories till I was like 13, I was tortured. Pretty much tortured. One of the things that I just recently started getting to with my meditation shit like that was, man, I don't, I, when I first had these memories, my first thing was, how did this happen and no one fucking noticed? That I mean, taking us kids to go do shit, and like I can't even tell my mom about some of this stuff. So. No one came to fucking help. No one would help. No one. No, no, no one would. Matter of fact, I still remember being okay. I was put on a table. This is something you can kind of research, but what most people don't know is the rest of it. And there's a, it's a metamaterial microwave lens they put above you, and on this table, what they do is you know the OBE thing. They spin you one direction. Stop it. Violently spin you the other direction. Stop it. Spin you one direction. And they just continuously do that. They threaten you. They hit you. And they're trying to cause disassociation. These MK Ultra programs were designed for a reason. I also know my father was in a program prior to me. And so while he was in, I don't know what he was doing while he was in. I only know what I was doing while I was in. Um, they kept going. Matter of fact, they still keep going. I've talked to kids that have had similar experiences, but they're a lot younger than me. So, yeah, dude, I, and here's something I need to say, though. This kind of bothered me a little bit, but I will say this. When I first talked about these memories and this happening, and there's a reason I kind of got into this stuff, I had people tell me to check my ego, and I'm not sure what they know about MK Ultra, but that's not exactly someone's trying to brag about some shit, right? That's what always bothered me, and I'm, I'll tell you, fact when Scott, the Scott Andrews book comes out, things will be more clear for everybody about these programs. Uh, matter of fact, Scott Andrews, this is going to blow people's fucking minds. I don't know how, bro. You know how hardcore I'm into this star kid, space kid shit. What if I told you Scott Andrews was my best friend growing up? He was. Had no fucking clue. And I made it to him. What if I told you that? What if I told you these kids, I got photos with some of these other children when I was a kid. I do. So do I. Go ahead, Adam. Okay, so one day, all right, I'm just going to explain. I've been, I guess, in contact with these beings since I was a child. My mom um, helped with the optics. She worked for Corning Incorporated. She Helped with the optics on the Hubble telescope a lot. Um, multiple in, during the initial, the first Hubble telescope, and then when they had to fix it. Um, I've had contact with these beings probably since, I'd say, since 1989. And, um, yeah, well, basically what this guy is saying is fairly right. Garrett, is that your name, Garrett? Um, hey, just real quick, Shane, uh, love you, bro. Hope you have a good night. I'm going to drop down. I'm probably going to leave, but uh, yeah, I have to go. But thank you for having me, bro. And yeah, keep doing your thing and your podcast. Like, appreciate you, man. Oh, man. Thanks, Brad. I'm glad you dropped in, dude. And I'm glad you asked hard fucking questions. I never take offense, dog. Because it makes me have to learn a little more, research a little more, and look for those questions. So, Seth, tell everybody, Adam, go ahead and finish, and I want Seth to 
make a better statement about what I was talking about. Uh, I, I, I didn't know. Like, he just like kind of cut to me. I um, Basically, all I can tell you is there is, I guess, it's 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 not it's not really aliens as you would really think of them. They're they're more. I I mean they are aliens, but it's more like beings that can transpose themselves between realities, uh, and they use this basically high energy technology to bend space between these realities. It's not, they're not going super far. A lot of them, a lot of them, they're just coming in from possible realities. I guess that's the best way to describe it. It's they're They're not, they're not technically aliens. They're more like the possible Things that could be, and we are one of these things, and there are other things that look just like us from other alternate realities that have more advanced technology than we do. Basically, their library of Alexandria didn't get burned down, they or they figured out stuff way before we did. And but they look a little bit different. That's why their cheekbones are different, or they're they're all blonde-eyed or blonde-haired, blue-eyed. It's because their timeline was just a little bit different than ours. Um, but they are still interacting with us because we have this basic. Basically, it's trying to you know imagine if you could go through realities. You had the technology to do so. You'd be looking for one where you could live happy and be like gods or whatever, uh, or 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 et cetera. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the the I guess what I'm trying to juxtapose. I guess ju- juxtapose to you guys. It's um, we are the least advanced. All right. Whereas there are more advanced uh, dimensions or civilizations that are human civilizations. They just exist basically in other dimensions. And they hop in between and certain beings and there's infinite amounts of them. So it doesn't matter they don't care. We are we are just one of a trillion quadrillion different possibilities, all right? So it doesn't matter to them when one of them that has the power to control the entirety of the entire universe pops into our reality or more than one of them. All right? And and basically we are We're we're just these NPCs, almost basically NPCs in their reality, in their in their game, 
And we just happen to see them doing this stuff. And there's nothing that we really can do about it. And there's no way we can prove it until we see them doing this stuff. But, I mean, there's obviously, like, I don't know. Very strange occurrences that occur. And nobody actually, like, I guess calls attention to them, but they do occur. And it's just like world shattering things that people should probably say, hmm. So that happened. But nobody actually questions and asks, why did it occur? And there's a lot of things like this, like, uh, I don't know, like, um, like a lot of the, like, uh, the, the Mandela effect kind of questions, right? Those are like strange questions that if you really think about it, they're like universe shattering in some way or another. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of blathering on here, but yeah, go ahead, man. Anyway. Hey, so anybody has any questions or anything? Want to talk about anything cool? I, I don't know. I'm just like, uh, I'm just some dude who has like a bunch of questions, same as anybody else, you know. Right, I think it's interesting, dude, that you talked about like how the the non-human intelligence or they would view us as like you know, like you said, uh, M- NPCs <laughs> or like you know, like these vessels or something, or even like are frustrated that we don't have the capability or like we're like you know, like not able to go out of body or like do these things. And, and maybe they're frustrated. They're like, look at these guys, look at these humans, man. Like they have this capability. They're just not doing it. Hmm. Go ahead, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta chime in real quick. Um, Beth, uh, Sue, sorry. I heard you, heard your question earlier about like how these things can be ingrained and how they compare to like the common infection you would think of around Candida. There's like several species that my group focuses on. One of them's Candida albicans. Um, that's, that's pretty bad. It gets in there pretty deep, but, uh, I put a link in, uh, the thread a moment ago for Apesid, which I would check out because that explains like a top level presentation of where these things ingrain themselves in the human biology. Um, you know, we think about certain areas that those hit, but it's really everywhere in your body. Cause they start kind of in the gut and the lungs, uh, cryptococcus neoformans is another one. Cryptococcus got eyes even further. Um, those are more like lung driven, uh, aspergillus is another one like fumigatus, uh, Niger, both of those kind of settle in the gut, do a ton of damage. Um, so yeah, you know, we're kind of taught out in the medical community to think, Hey, this is just a certain series of infections that affect a certain, you know, maybe a certain gender or, or certain, you know, immunodeficiency group, whatever it might be, but that's not necessarily true. That's just when you see what would be termed an overgrowth of the underlying issue. And that underlying issue is uh, immune evasion, basically, is really what it boils down to. And for people like me, uh, I presented really heavily at birth uh, because of that APSID link I put in that thread. So I had a whole bunch of uh, dysplasias, which are like, you know, I guess you can call them cancers of a sort, but you're you're kind of born with them, so they don't really call them that. Um, You know, 
limbs that were twisted, uh, lung issues right out of the gate. You know, I had all kinds of things happen that were related to candida and other fungal infections. You know, it was within a couple of days of birth. Those actually set in while you're still in the womb, though. So these can bypass that entire system. Um, there's no placental barrier that will keep them from you. And they're masters at it. So they get in there, they sit in your macrophages um, early on in the womb. We're talking like 14 to 21 days old in the womb is when these things are really setting up shop. It's called an ectodermic infection. So before you even start folding into the tubes, it would be like your neural tubes and all that. They're already in there, kind of like attached to your sheet of cells that are going to become the you that you know. So that brings me to the big point here with um, the NHI connection. Because I, I got to tell you all, uh, I'm, I'm not sold on it being ETs. Uh, just I'll be blunt about that. I do think it's something that's definitely not human. Um, again, like Adam was saying a minute ago, it's kind of hard to put your finger on that. Really what they would be besides something that's kind of tapping us here and there. Um, so where this all comes down is that the brain infections and these other bodily infections are actually changing the way that you express certain uh, parts of your genome. So like uh, DMT, I talk a lot about endogenous DMT in my work, and you'll see that if you go through my, my feed at all. Um, we focus on that because we see a bunch of issues that are driven by pathogens, and the bottom of that pyramid really looks to be these, these invasive fungal diseases. Um, aspergillus is a big one. They've started to tie that to something called silent aspergillosis, and that's out in the data, so you can search PubMed for that. And what that actually is really tied to is autism spectrum disorder. So they found out uh, kind of by accident, there's a couple of case reports on this that are getting a lot of attention lately, where they administered a couple azole class drugs, so triazoles that are usually just meant for um, you know, antifungal treatment, basically. And it cleared all autism spectrum um, symptoms for this person in the case report. So I started digging in because we had a bunch of people uh, report during this protocol chasing, because we're a bunch of, basically the group is really uh, glorified biohackers is what I would say. Um, so we kind of piece things together. We all realized, wait a second, one of us took some antifungals, that was me uh, and, and someone else I know very close. Uh, we both got put on antifungals right after COVID. So this is like late 21, uh, December of 21, actually. I was just talking with Shane about this the other night. And um, it cleared so many symptoms. Like I'm talking... For me, I was born with a murmur. That was one of the things for my dysplasia is I had this murmur in my upper left uh, that was really an issue all growing up and everything else. And I'm almost 50 at this point. And two years ago, that murmur, because of these antifungals, just disappeared. I'm talking like day five or six, it's gone. So this is what, what I'm kind of getting at with these things being ingrained in our system. And I think the best way to think about them, um, and bear with me because I ran back here. I was on errands. So I'm trying to like get this all kind of encapsulated real quick. But if you think about yourself as a substrate for your consciousness, uh, and what I'm going to say here is, is really related to the way that we build the structures that our body is made out of that I see our consciousness from above attaching to in a way. So you have these things, microtubules, tubulin. It's like the smallest structures that make up your neurons and your astroglia and your uh, microglia, all those cells in there. And those are, those are, um, if you look at Orco, our theory from Hameroff, Dr. Hameroff and uh, Roger Penrose, they talk a lot about this orchestrated objective reduction that they see as the, the real framing of consciousness. I take that kind of a step further um, in what we have put together in my group, and we kind of see the body as an antenna structure for consciousness to 
attached to in a way. Um, the issue with that is related to these fungi. Stop thinking about them like fungi, first off. That's a big thing um, because they're turning out to be more of an amoebic life form. So if you know much about other things that have been studied around consciousness recently, last few years, they started to assign uh, slime molds a rough approximation of consciousness. You know, the subway map thing, I'm sure some of you have seen that deal. So those are actually kind of what these fungi are. They set up shop, they start expressing a bunch of biofilms. Uh, they lock themselves into a colony. And Shane did mention a couple of times, I heard when I was out listening, that um, they tap you for energy. And I'm going to put a slide. How do I get slides in here, Shane? I don't know how to do that. I'm, this is my first. Uh... If you want to put a photo in the thread, I'll okay. actually put it in the nest for you so they pop up there on the thing. Okay, cool. Let me grab that real quick. And when you're doing that, too, one thing I wanted to say, after you're done talking about this part, why don't you tell everybody about the protocol and the benefits of the said protocol? Uh, Astral up here, who's the one that introduced me to RV remote viewing and all this type of shit, I think he would enjoy that. Yeah, sure. So, right, so hey, guys, I've do me got... a solid. While he puts that in the thread, retweet the space. We can talk about anything in here right now. We're talking about the hitchhiker effect, theory of everything. UAPs, what's not UAPs? And in my opinion, the vast majority of what we're seeing is MK Ultra, and it's just to hide some bullshit, right? So I think it's about that. Uh, while Seth is doing that, number one, we might have lost Astral, and I can't get him back. Maybe you can. But number two, while we're waiting for Seth, first of all, I agree with everything he's saying. I don't know all the science behind it, but there is definitely a correlation between these parasites, the hyperdimensional parasites, and the parasites in our body. But I want to take it back a topic while we're waiting for Seth to come back. I am still shaking and I felt like I was going to vomit for a minute. I have never heard anyone else talk about the spinning, Shane, that they do. And I am very much in agreement with you that so much of what we're seeing is us and it's MKUltra. And uh, I just wanted to support you in that. You know, that actually, um, can you guys get me? Am I, am I on or Yeah, no? I can hear you. Okay, cool, cool. So um, this substrate thing, I put a couple of those slides up around this Candida deal. And you can see on those slides, there's one that has four frames to it. Um, it looks pretty nasty because it is. So that is a one-to-one -one invasion of your cells, your epithelial cells. And what's happening there is you think about yeast being yeast. You know, it's got a... Actually, I'll put another one in here real too, real quick too, Shane. Now, this one's actually Cryptococcus, but it's the same idea as what these Candida do to a degree. Real nasty looking stuff. Um, and actually, here's this other one too. Sorry, I'm messing those up a little bit. But um, this is the one that shows the choroid plexitis related to Cryptococcus neoformans. And it's just like what Dr. Nolan's talked about in a lot of his work. The damage is roughly the same. The brain melt, like Shane was saying, all that's in there. So these Candida in particular... Um, which is that one that has the four frames and it's got this little poke kind of going into the cell. That right-hand frame is showing that exchange of energy. So those little purple, if everyone's looking at that one, when you get to, when you get a chance to, you'll see some purple spirals in there that are coming out of the candida cell that's poked into the epithelial cell. And those are actually a pore. So these things have a real specific chemical. Uh, it's called candida lysin. That's how specific it is. And it, it makes a lysing pore into your cellular membrane. And that allows exchange of uh, lactate dehydrogenase from inside your nuclear membrane 
out to where the candida wants it. So it's wanting the calcium ions and all that. And it starts breaking that down. And the end math that it gets for algebra is it gets your ATP. So the cellular energy currency itself is the end game for that. Um, so, you know, you can kind of see where this is tapped in really hard. Um, and one of the things too here that's probably important to note, let me get these for you too, Shane. I've got a couple slides because this theory goes back to what most people would consider like the, uh, I see it a lot on Twitter is like the fall of Atlantis and that kind of thing time-wise. So if you look at these two slides I just put up, you're going to see a couple things here. The, there's one that shows a sea level change. And that goes back, what I'm focused on here in my work is this 22,000, 18,000 years ago. You hear a lot about Dryas and all that stuff. It's a little bit before that. But if you look at that sea level rise, it goes way up. You're talking like 400 feet roughly, breaking it out to, to feet from meters. Um, and that was the last let go of the glaciers up above the Atlas is where I focus. Because if you look at the slide with the map, you'll see some black areas over near Morocco, up near the Straits. There's a little black triangle. And that black triangle is a place called Tafarol. Uh, Tafarol is also known as the Grotto of Pigeons. Uh, it's one of the earliest dumping grounds for mankind. It was about 300,000 years running. Um, there's documentation from Max Planck Institute. Uh, they have all kinds of genetic records from there. And there's a really interesting thing that happens. And anyone that knows Candida well, as far as like the oral area, the oral mucosa, this should throw a flag for you. So you have uh, like eruptions that'll happen in your teeth when you have really bad bacterial and fungal mingling in your in your oral mucosa and some of those come from the nerves out so it kind of comes up from your pulp and then blows out the top i'm sure some people know what i'm referring to there i actually had that happen to me right before i got better um so that was the first site of that being known in the in the record like in the the biological genetic record that's where that showed up so all of a sudden this population that was in this tafferal region around 22,000, 20,000 years ago all of a sudden, they've all got these tooth eruptions. And it's, and we've always been told, hey, you know, it's from the, the grains and the settling and building and all that stuff like that. You hear is when we started actually really getting civilization down and growing all these grains into like being too sweet for our, our teeth and everything else. But this is like, like I say, like 18,000 years ago. So about 10,000 years before the framework we were, we were commonly given. Um, and what we've put together in my group is that that sea level rise at this pit where humans were dumping and everything else, you know, fungi is going to grow in the dark, it's going to grow in the temperatures that Tafferalt is, which is like 90 degrees plus. Um, and then all of a sudden, this 400 foot rise of the sea level brings all that stuff from the bottom up. And now you're exposed to a massive amount of pathogens. And we hear it in all the stories as, you know, like the flood myth and whatnot. And everyone kind of diaspora it out from there. And if you look at that map, that's exactly what happened. You can see that Tafferalt's the epoch way on the right of that black. Uh, that little frame that black triangles on the upper right furthest over so that's way back around that time frame of sea level rise and then you can see it starts everyone starts bouncing around as you go up the timeline towards zero bc everyone's spreading out so one of the big things is that i i see that as kind of an action like uh lou and tom uh you know lou elizondo and tom DeLong have referenced a lot with them like kind of controlling the population when something gets off kilter from their perspective, this NHI perspective, that's kind of what I see this as being. Like we've talked about it for a couple of years now in my group. Um, 
and where this gets interesting is if you look at the substrate conversation that I've been having on, on Twitter, we have our own. So our own substrate, our consciousness attaches to. But the thing is, they make their own tubulin. They make their own microtubules. They have their own biofilms that are in you because of them bypassing the immune system so early. That is kind of locked in there unless you push them out. You know, that's and that's kind of a tricky process. Um, takes a little while to get it right. But they're whatever they're doing. And this is in line with what Shane's been talking about. This whole idea of like a projection into your consciousness it's the same idea as what your consciousness is doing for yourself it's just their version so you know like shane was saying you might have someone who sees you know an orb standing next to a guy who's like wait a second no that was like an elongated you know tic tac or some kind of saucer shape that's what they're wanting you to see in a way um if you want to take it to that, ex that far extension of the theory um so again you know your consciousness tells you what your substrate wants to see and they're in there kind of moving things around um to some degree consciously so back to the slides for a second uh, there's a really great illustration in here if you go to i put that one up shane that has the uh the capillaries and the green the two green slides okay. that we had talked about yeah i'll put it in the nest yep so those are really key to this whole thing because i see like candida is obviously part of it because there's a lot of interspecies cooperation between these things um but cryptococcus is really bad uh, and that's what those two slides are you can see um there's one that's got the capillaries and then it shows a bunch of macrophage activity on the right hand slide every single green dot in there is a cryptococcus cell and when those get in there they are doing a lot of work that we would think is related to like you know consciousness interruption dmt issues all those things like that um they're pumping out a bunch of maois or oh, maos sorry this is why you have to um i'm sure a lot of you guys know about this too when you do some type of uh, dmt related ceremony and whatnot you usually have to take an moai alongside it to inhibit those monoamine oxidases because uh, they're cutting up your tryptamine is what's happening so neoformans uh, this particular one is pretty much it's it's as big in the environment as candida or aspergillus any of those it's just as big and it comes from pigeon waste so that's another thing going back to the tafferal deal that grotto of pigeons we were raising pigeons there for thousands of years in this cave this pit whatever you got to call it so that's how we got exposed to this particular series of pathogens really deeply but when you look at the two slides here that the one that has the two green frames the left hand is your healthy microglia. So that's how they should look. And that's the communication they should be having. That's how they kind of tell where things are, uh, what's broken, what needs to be repaired, how to shuttle out a bad neuron, shuttle in new ones. You know, uh, migration is the, you know, is the term there. The right hand slide with a B up top. Those little gr dark circles everywhere that they're pointing out with the arrows, those are actually uh, cryptococcus neoformin cells. And those are kind of shunting all those connections between the microglia. So now your microglia can't see each other. They're not talking. They're, uh, they want to be in contact with each other. If you could think about it simply, they're, they're unhappy now. And when, they're gonna, when they get unhappy like that, they start pumping out monoamine oxidases, A and B both. So all those issues you hear with monoamine oxidases, you know, and, and, and amyloids and so forth, those kind of all tie into that. Uh, but for the purpose of the ENND, the endogenous NNDMT that I'm so focused on, that's one of the linchpins. 
uh, as far as the fungal connection is that that's what's ramping up that monoamine oxidase it, primarily. And like I say, they're in there. They use the same immune evasion technique, roughly, that Candida does. You can see that in that first slide with all the the capillary pieces that are getting broken apart. They pass your blood-brain barrier, no problem. Um, anybody out there with migraines, this is a good example of that. Good, like the meningital stuff. Um, give you an example of the, the the healing stuff that Shane's been talking about. Um, I used to have migraines before I started, well, my doctors anyway, started me on the antifungal treatments. And within a couple of days, they disappeared. And that's the same for somebody else I'm, I'm close with who had them for like 35 years before she, before they got treated. Uh, and, and again, those are basically gone for both of us now. Uh, and this, you know, again, this is pointing to that because what these, micro, these uh, cryptococcus cells do is part of that process where they're damaging your blood brain barrier they're actually using there's a little part of your uh, your inner core part of your brain near the dentate gyrus which i'll get to in a moment too um, where you pass plasma into your central nervous system spinal column basically and it becomes cerebrospinal fluid and these things love that stuff they feed i would say you know it's kind of good for their colony they kind of use it for a lot of their processes so when the colony there ramps up in size and especially you know, if you're immunocompromised this is real real obvious when you look at like long covid um hiv complications that you'll see a lot of data you know out on nih pubmed those kind of places related to cryptococcosis um and if you think about a lower level of that now you're looking at migraines you might get one once a month, a couple times a month, but it's not a huge deal for you. Um, but it does become that way in immunocompromised situations. So, but they're using that against you, that blood-brain barrier gap they create. They use that against your body, kind of do their thing there. Um, they have other processes that they're that they're you know kind of behind, like the dentate gyrus that I mentioned. Um, that is something that if you think about issues with neurogenesis as you age. Um, you know, you hear that you don't really have neurons that are shuttling out correctly and going where they should and everything else. And there's, we hear uh, a lot of mention about control systems, you know, about controlling our biology out there, um, especially with Gary and, and Lou and those guys, they mention it all the time. Um, and this is one of those things from my perspective. So the dentate gyrus is actually getting jammed up just as much as everything else in the nervous system by these, these fungal pathogens. There's other ones in the mix, but like I say, think about this as the pyramid take the base of the pyramid out, the top falls apart too. That's the way that my group sees it. So we found early on with this, uh, there were a couple of things that we were using in our testing um, that showed direct impact against the dentate gyrus. And they also showed antifungal activity as well. So you kind of start seeing these handshakes, like something will show up as antifungal, all of a sudden you're getting back neurogenesis, you're getting back, you know, uh, like proper training of neurons and proper migration of neurons and differentiation of neurons. And it's just because the system has had that inflammation quelled, um, you know, in, in particular in the brain, but then you start seeing all these other returns in the body. Um, you know, and from, for my part of what I've really been focused on with all these NHI pieces that are coming into play, these things are in there from essentially, like I said, because the APSID and the model there showing that that's an ectodermic, you know, 14, 21 day in the womb, old infection, all the way up through death. These things are kind of parked alongside you. And, and we got stories that kind of shadow that. If you hear that, you know, there's, there's these phrases that you'll hear in old uh, religion, religions and legends and whatnot with um, like sin is born alongside you. 
kind of deal, that kind of thing. And, and bear with me on any religious stuff that makes people uncomfortable. It's just part of what you got to look at for old legends. So there it is. Um, the best legend I can give you, though, is that, and this relates in my my perspective to DMT. I'm going to jump off on that for a second. Um, we're going to talk about Prometheus. So one of my favorite stories from the Greek pantheon is that Zeus set us up as basically garden farmers to do his tasks, his duties, whatever. And Prometheus, being one of the ones that was at his level, got upset by that. He said, no, mankind's better than that. They need, they deserve better. Um, so I'm going to give it to him. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, it was fire or it was technology or, you know, there's different takes. Um, I've got a real specific one related to DMT. Uh, I see the flame as literally a reflection in their stories, uh, an allegory toward the spark or flame of the soul, the spirit. And the reason I say that is that he gave this to us. He gave mankind this gift. And Zeus woke up one day and he looked out across the earth. And all of a sudden, his creations aren't doing his work anymore that he wanted him to do. He saw, and he saw, quote, flames across the whole planet. And that really greatly upset him. And he tracked down who did it. It was Prometheus. So he puts him on the stone. We all know that story. Oh, sorry. We all know that story. But the one that I pay attention to the most out of this whole thing is the story of what happened to Epimetheus, his brother. So, you know, Zeus does all this stuff to Prometheus. He still isn't satisfied with how much he's got back at him, right? And he says, all right, you know what? Just to, because I know Prometheus loves his brother, Epimetheus, he's, I'm going to give him something that'll mess this all up. So, and Prometheus kind of gets word of this. He tries to get off the rock, can't get off in, the rock in time to go warn Epimetheus to not accept this gift from Zeus. And what Zeus does is he and the other gods, they get together up there uh, in Olympus, and they jam every disease known to mankind into this vessel. And this vessel is given the name Pandora. So they send Pandora down after they get done jamming all these diseases and everything else into this vessel. They send Pandora down as a gift to Epimetheus to wed. And, you know, that shouldn't happen. Prometheus is trying to warn Epimetheus, doesn't get there in time. And he opens the gift, so to speak. Um, the real funny part about this whole thing, and again, bear in mind, Prometheus gives us DMT, spark of the spirit, whatever you want to call it. Zeus gets upset by that, wants to clamp it, wants to take it back away from us, but can't remove what Prometheus has done directly. So he sends down these diseases and he sends them down as a curse against men who eat bread. And that's always stuck with me this whole time looking at these fungi, because you think about what do you, you know, what's the common ingredient with bread? And it sounds dumb at first, but if you look at that, it's yeast, fungi. And all of a sudden, you've got this thing where it's wrapping itself right back around to the old legends that we were kind of, I think I saw somebody, maybe it was actually, it might have been you, Fringe, that posted that earlier kind of about the old legends kind of being key. And I, I see this as another piece of that. You know, like these, like this was known, kind of got told to us, reflected to us. And I, I also think that there's probably more than one side. That story reflects it pretty well, that there's more than one side to this NHI business. There's a side that really, really doesn't like us. It doesn't like the fact that we do have this spark. Uh, that it can't access or didn't want us to. And there's a side that wants us to have that. And I think that maybe, maybe that's kind of what we're coming to with all these odd synchronicities everyone's running into, ramping up on disclosures, all these other things. I think it's not going to turn out to be what everyone was expecting. If you're looking for nuts and bolts hardware stuff, I think you're going to be disappointed. That's my that's my two cents. Um, so I don't know. That, that was, that's, a, that's a lot of stuff on the table. So if you guys have any questions or clarifications I want to give, I'm going to breathe for a second here.
Thank you. Uh, before we get to Brett, I just want to say thank you for saving my ass, Seth, that you explained it way better than I could. As a matter of fact, I'm probably, when this space is over, I'll start the space when you start talking. That way it makes sense. So people aren't like, wait, what the hell is he talking about? Brett, go ahead. Hey, sorry, you hear me? Yep. Yeah, okay. So uh, this gentleman just took all of my favorite subjects and squished them into one and articulated all of it much better than I ever have. So that's very upsetting. I do want to ask. Brett, go ahead. He's going, bud. You can't hear him. You may have to drop at him and come back in if you can't hear him. I'll bring you back up. You may have to exit the app, Adam. Sometimes there's a bug. And then I'll bring you back up to talk if you can't hear him. Go ahead, Britt. So, yeah, um, you mentioned the flood myths, which is a particular interest of mine. And then Zeus and Prometheus. Are you familiar with Prometheus' role in the Greek flood myths? Uh, somewhat, yeah. I, I take that more from uh, the, the Mesopotamian angle is how I found that piece because of his relation to Enke in those stories, if that makes sense. Uh, you probably caught that before, too. But I see him as analogous to Enke, and also that would be kind of a further version of uh, what we got in the Abrahamic legends and, sure, and stories. Sure. Yeah. Go, go ahead, though. Sorry. Yeah. So right, I, right. I do know it. Yeah. 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 Well, look, look at it um, just when you get a moment, because... You know, Prometheus warned his. I actually was uh, able to hear to that, like half of it. It was weird. It, like it cut into it. All right, hold up, real quick, Brett. Hey, Adam, you're gonna actually leave the app. Come back in because I don't think you can see. You can hear him. He's still talking. You're actually the internet might be messing up for you. So come back up. I'll bring you back up. Go ahead, Brett. It was accidental. No, you're good. Um, that was just the one thing I wanted to mention was. That, that would be kind of interesting if you could get a chance sometime to look at it and kind of incorporate that into what you were just suggesting about the, the illness and, you know, sea level changes and DNT and all that. That was, that was awesome. But uh, yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah, I'm going to agree. It was way better than I could have done it. And it actually wrapped a lot of my things up and gave me pieces to a puzzle. And before we get to Fringe, I just wanted to point out, retweet the space. She made a comment earlier. And I'm talk about this real quick. When I recovered my first memories of being a part of uh, that MK Ultra program, I was wide awake. They came to me and suddenly, well, there's a dentist fucking me up in my face, right? One of the things that I also say is I had four teeth blow out right after the pandemic happened when my experience started in the way he described too. But the, the thing I wanted to point out was she said, it was so real. First, my brain didn't freak out like I expected it to. I was happy I had answers, but my body, I went to a, an intense trauma response. I wasn't sad, I was crying and I was shaking. 15 minutes of shaking and I couldn't stop because I saw what they were doing to me. I was naked on a table. They would stuff all over our bodies. They'd spin us, these things would tilt. The vibrations were so bad that in my, as this memory comes back to me, all I see, it felt like an earthquake. And then on top of that, I remember being pulled. So above us, there's a pattern. That pattern was called what's, it's a metamaterial microwave lens. It's going to shoot those elf rays, right? As I'm doing this, I get sucked up into that pattern. I, and I posted a couple different times that I thought I had watchers. They're not watchers. These were three individuals standing over me on the table as I was disassociated hitting me or threatening to hit me, to scare me, things like that. And I could see, I'd say way down below, 
I was disassociated, but they were standing there over me. And I also very distinctly remember a pulsing red light. Didn't know what it was. I drew all this stuff. This is where it gets weird. And then the very fucking next day, I get on my computer and there's a tab open that I hadn't even got to. Like 60 tabs all the time. I'm sure Garrett's just like me on that. 60 tabs all the time. So I click on it and I start reading down. And it's talking about that pulsing red light. And then it's talking about more things that I was just, you know, thinking about, right? This trauma response. So when we were talking about that earlier, I think MKUltra continued. Matter of fact, I know it continued. And that's the secret. The secret's not the tech. It's what they've been doing with the tech. These fucked up programs. So go ahead, Fringe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's continued. I still, I'm still dealing with it, y'all. And I apologize, but I'm, I'm. Take a breath. It's, I know it sucks. So look. Here's the thing I struggle with. I'm trying not to be a Debbie Downer before we start. We may have to kind of reset so we don't bring everybody down. So my entire life was, it was by design torture. Matter of fact, even though those memories aren't here yet, I can promise you there will be memories of me continuously be taken my lab style because they don't let the kids go and just run around do, oh, they'll be all right. No, they're going to keep grabbing you and checking on you. I just don't have memories because I don't have dreams and stuff. They're just coming back now because I'm meditating and doing some of these different things. Matter of fact, a lot of this, people aren't going to have to take our words for it at some point. There was a church committee. There needs to be another. And I was going to ask you, Fringe, something just kind of popped into my head. You know what an SSO is? Special Security Officer? The ones that have the tickets to all those programs? I think Richard Doty was an SSO while we were getting ultra Oh, yeah, and that's interesting. I, I'm not sure. Um, uh, when you mentioned that spinning, I just lost it, and I apologize. I tell you what, you don't have to apologize because I was just having a recovered memory, and it was so fucking violent, I felt like I was being beaten. That's, that's how violent the shaking was, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I actually had only started meditating. I had to stop. And that always safety first, right? Pull yourselves out. You have to. I did. I literally stopped 15 to 20 minutes in, shaking. I couldn't do anymore. And suddenly, most people may think that you'd be fucked up. But for someone who's lived a fucked up life, I had answers. And it wasn't all necessarily my fault, right? The stuff I went through as a kid was part of that. So I had my brain saying, thank God, I've got some answers. But my body was like... I was almost vomiting, tears coming down, but I wasn't sad. My body was just shaking uncontrolled. I never felt anything like it in my life. In my life, never had a trauma response like that. And suddenly it was real. So kids still exist. It's horrific. Yeah, this is, this is still happening, you guys. This didn't stop. I, I don't know who it was who said it, it stopped. I think maybe it was Garrett. It has not stopped. I'm still experiencing this stuff uh, up until extremely recently. And to get back to uh, Seth... Um, on the NHI side, one of the things I've been trying to do to disconnect is I've been doing the zapper. I put that down in the um, chat. Um, I asked Seth if there was maybe a certain frequency uh, for the zappers. They're antifungal, antiparasitic, because there's definitely a correlation there. And then I did want to ask Seth um, about zeolite, because I've been doing that too. And I'd love to hear about his protocol 
um, I'm assuming it's an antifungal. Yeah. Um, so what happened with me um, in December of 21, I had a little issue pop up. Now, uh, I should go back a minute because we lost a kid um, like October of 21, right around there, like September, October 21. And it was due to complications of this disease set that I'm referring to, this APSID-related stuff. Um, we both have different varying symptom levels from it. And the, just, you know, between COVID and everything else that's been going on um, and our own history of fungal-related infections and stuff, which, you know, they, they don't always get noted as what they are either. Like mine got noted, uh, my first run with, with what they termed cancer was for age 14 to 17. And I got put on like a low grade chemotherapy for about three years, uh, which worked out, but it just stemmed the tide until a little bit later. So this whole history of ours kind of wrapped itself into September, October 21, losing the kid. Um, things kept turning down like it did for most people in that era during COVID. And then, um, we actually got pointed over to uh, Martin's Point. So I'm sure some of you guys in the chat will know about Martin's Point. Um, so we ran into this whole situation where the doctor kind of recognized the symptoms, didn't agree with what it was completely, put us on one run of antifungals, which was Nystatin. Um, and that I, went on, I was on that for about four days. And then they moved me to, because I'd had such a long history of it and had some other presentations that, um, she didn't, they put me on fluconazole, which also some people in chat will probably know that one. Uh, but instead of just doing like a one-off, like they usually do for most uh, fungal yeast type infections, they had me do a 10 day run straight, which is kind of unheard of, especially for someone who's immunocompetent, which is what I was considered at that point, you know, besides my obvious other issues from youth. But um, what happened at that point when I took the 10 days, I had been, I'd already dove into a bunch of research because uh, the best way I can say it uh, my wife said it really well. She said she felt like a stain lifted off her. Uh, for me, it was like my brain turned on, like back on or, or on. I don't know how to explain it because it's like everything just got so clear, uh, like cognitive function and everything else. I, I started researching this like hardcore, like went all the way. And within that 10 days, getting towards the end of the prescription, I was like, I'm going to be in trouble, I think, if I don't figure out some way to keep up with this. Uh, because I'm seeing what has changed from these lifelong symptoms. Um, so I started researching out there in the wild uh, a bit about, you know, phytochemicals like plant-based chemicals and amino acids that step in for antifungal effect. So I put all this stuff together um, to answer your question on zeolite real quick and on the frequency stuff. Those have come up back and forth in the in the group. Uh, I should explain what we do too. So I'm I'm actually attached to an institute over in Nagaland. Uh, I'm head of the fungal research division over there as uh, for invasive fungal disease and antimicrobial resistance. That's my, that's my primary deal with them. Um, so I'm the head of that group with their, their institute. And I started on my own separate from that, doing a bunch of biohacking and sharing the details with people uh, that I was close to first. And then we all started having so many turnarounds that it was like, all right, look, there's something to this because none of us have been told that we're immunocompromised. We're all having the same return from like antifungal specific treatment or protocoling what's going on with this so we started barreling in more and more and more now it's turned into this kind of i would call it an open research group and it's spread over you know three or four different places a little bit on twitter a little bit on reddit 
Uh, the other guys run some other spots that I'm not really hot on, uh, that I don't really deal with too much on, but I'm off. I'm in them off and on. And as we started comparing notes, we started realizing a couple things um, that you can slowly without at least you know, according to our data and studies and everything else, you can get around those resistance issues that everyone's getting so uh, nervous about out in the regular medical community. You can actually get around a lot of those if you if you look at the right compounds from nature. And a lot of those compounds that we looked at from nature also just happen to be things that are mentioned in the old legends that we're also focused on, where you hear a lot of these stories about NHI interactions with humans and these legendary uh, beings, I guess you could say, or legendary humans, whatever you got to call them. Um, and, and we kind of started taking this stance, like maybe maybe what we're, what we're reading about are people that just didn't have disease in their body like weren't susceptible to it and weren't constantly ground down from birth, you know, the ectodermic thing again, up through death, you aren't ground down as much. So you have these other capabilities. Uh, I spent a few hours talking with Shane about those capabilities over the weekend too. And there's, there's some pretty deep dives you can get into, but as to answer your question with the protocol stuff, um, actually, you know, I can grab another link for you, Shane, give me a second here. I'll get that. All right, go ahead. And actually guys, I put the protocol up in the nest and it's in the thread. So you just, okay. started... all right. Yeah. You said something to me. Um, it's in there if you want to look at it. Like I said, you guys should be doing your own research on it. Look at the stuff. It's not drugs or anything like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's nature stuff. But go ahead, Seth. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, we, we started realizing that um, real simple chemistry, what we've been told shouldn't be effective, actually turns out to be real effective um, in the data. And then all these anecdotes from our own biohacking and researching, you know, with the group that we're running, not running, but you know, this kind of together looking at this stuff. And like Shane said, you know, DYOR, but, um, we started realizing that like oregano, you hear that out in, you know, lots of groups that people that are, are more on the natural side of medicine, bring it up as something that they'll take and they just don't get sick. Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, it, it, it basically shreds anything that's pathogenic and then it doesn't really damage the positive side of the biome from what we found in the data and from our own you know results at uh, you know doctor visits and so forth after doing these protocols i'm about two years deep on it myself um and there's a few of us at that level and it, it basically everyone starts having these turnarounds and they're like clockwork that's the that's the weirdest part you know within a couple three weeks most people are like hey this this and this and this turned around uh they start having all their all their dreams again they're able to uh, RV and LD, like lucid dream, remote view, all that stuff comes back to them. Or if they weren't able to do it before, all of a sudden they can. And that's where this whole thing turned into like what's going on with the consciousness. And the more we dug, the more it looks like the endogenous DMT system has been jacked completely by these things. And it's not just one species. Like I said a little bit ago, you know, Cryptococcus is a big one with the MAOs. But then you've got Candida doing a bunch of work in the brain and other spots. Uh, there's a lot of issues from aspergillus that we found um, specific pieces of actually, you know, I've got that too, Shane. Let me grab that DMT map. Drop right, that ahead. in the nest too. Why he's doing that, guys, retweet the space. All right. And if you want to come up and talk, ask questions to Seth, anybody in these rooms, feel free. Like I said, I've got a bunch of I'm glad he came in here because he makes it sound a lot better than I did. I all <laughs> I know is this we had a long conversation and I was just blown away because it all makes so much sense. And a matter of fact, I'm on the protocols now. I'm hoping to help get a little, you know, I'm just getting a little frustrated with the, my RV skills. So let's just say, hopefully this helps. I'm stressing myself out trying to work it so hard and it's, it's ridiculous. 
Okay. Yeah, thank you, Shane, so much for bringing Seth in here because I've been thinking about this for the last few months and just trying, again, the Zapper, the Zeolite. I'm trying to drink kefir, you know, anything I can think of uh, just to help the gut and the microbiome and all that because there's there's a connection here. I don't mm -hmm. understand the science like Seth does, but there's a connection, and I'd love to have any tips and tricks, uh, like how much oregano and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's pretty well laid out in that uh, document that Shane put up. Uh, I think, did you put up the white paper version that kid did for yes, us? Yes, I did. I, you, I, okay, you that's the, the cosmic one. Death, uh, the cosmic death song as well? I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's got some of the history in there. Oh, uh, I don't, I'm not huge on the name, but you know, that's, that wasn't me. So yeah, go ahead. I mean, that, that has a lot of the, my notes and they just kind of reformatted it for the audience they were aiming for, which, yeah, that's, that's kind of their deal. Uh, but it does have some of the history and some of the biology history. And then it goes right back into what's in that white paper. Uh, someone reformatted that white paper as well using my notes. So it's all kind of in there. The dosages are, um, recommended amounts i should say is a better way to word that are kind of centered around that 150 pound range so you got to kind of up or down from there just you know like i said you know do your own research too um that's one of the biggest things about this is making sure you're ticking all your own boxes before you jump into something like that and that's true for any protocol not just what i'm putting in front of you but you know make sure that you're checking against your current rx's and with your doctors to make sure it's not going to mess something up here like care plan or whatever like that just make sure on that stuff most of it's pretty inane though like shane was saying it's just garden vegetables dude really and amino acids but um so oregano it's got this chemical in there called carvacrol uh, which is actually is used for a lot of antiretroviral stuff. And that should throw a flag for everybody because we've got issues with, you know, COVID, uh, HIV's antiretroviral st or, you know, retroviral stuff. Um, and I started digging and we had a couple of reports come in anecdotally in the group that people's, um, and, and I'm going to say this real bluntly because I don't really understand that whole part because I mostly focus on fungal infections, but uh, they said that their counts were like through the floor. So it dropped almost completely to zero for their uh, HIV level count. I don't and I, I don't deal with that a lot. I don't know a lot about that side of the, the medical stuff, but that, that started me researching what is actually doing this uh, in, in these compounds. And it turns out Carvacrol inhibits fusion of HIV-1. It's in the data. They've looked at it for years now. So this is how, you know, how effective some of these things can be that we were told aren't. And then they just get repackaged later. Like they'll pull that chemical out twist it a little bit and then put it back out as an RX, which, you know, I'm not faulting them for doing that. You know, they got to do what they've got to do, obviously. But um, I think that there's still value and we're kind of seeing that in this protocol and this biohacks that we're all doing. Um, so the, the three big ones up front and the approach here is kind of a three stage, I guess you could say thing that's kind of come to light where, you know, tamping down the pathogenic effect first without hurting yourself because um, you can, you know, you can push it too far um zeolite is a good one for like kind of binding to answer that question fringe uh, that's one that some people i mean it's not in the protocol but again it sounds like you've already got some experience with it that's more for like binding and like the die-off stuff that you'll hear people mention herxheimer is the other word you'll hear for that that's like 99.9 percent .9 like a reaction of fungi getting evicted from your macrophages is what that really boils down to because uh, they, they get latent they hang out in your macrophages they'll be there for decades and decades and um kind of to go off on that for a second before i go along too far that's a lot of what our suspicion is on the long COVID side is that it's a double hit so COVID's getting in there obviously sars cov 2 gets in there 
and brushes up against the macrophages. Like you, you know, early on we all heard about you know how lungs were getting really damaged and everything really, really quick. So it's just really a, a matter of these fungal spores, cells, whatnot, being in the macrophages of the lungs and the brain elsewhere, and the virus shows up. And it kind of like you ever had a, a strep infection? I'm sure most of you have. And all of a sudden, like it's a normal virus. Like that's part of your, you know, called commensal. You know, it doesn't anything, doesn't do anything for you, but it's in your biome. And all of a sudden, it'll just ramp up, and something happens. You get a strep throat infection. You know, that is what I'm talking about. It's just that's a lower grade version of what like long COVID and some of the other ones out there do to these macrophages, and it causes those living because they've they've evaded your immune system. They live in your macrophages. And then it just ejects them when that virus gets there. It's called vomocytosis uh, is, is what the actual term is, the medical term. And that's a, like kind of like a tickle to your macrophages and whatever's in there that's alive, boom, out it goes. And then that's starting to cause lysing damage. They're all multiplying now outside the, where they're trapped in the macrophages and so on. So that is what you'll hear termed that die-off or Herxheimer reaction. So our protocol that we've been working with for a couple of years now is kind of aimed at not having that die-off be so so harsh on people. You know, especially like I like I say, I'm almost 50. So for me and having apes at two, I like I had to plan carefully. Like I couldn't afford to go back into a situation where I'm ramping up like, you know, uh, autoimmune response and all of a sudden my lymphoma is going up to the roof, you know, because that's that's the risk I would have. Um, most people aren't going to be in that bucket, luckily. But still, you know, it, it's it's good to to route the pathogens first. That's the first step, and then the second phase of this is kind of outlined in that white paper, is aimed at shoring up a bunch of issues with uh, sirtuins and some other expressions in our genome, and that's what those compounds are really pushing. And so that kind of levels all that stuff off and allows your body kind of to rest is a good way to say it. And we have a lot of things that our body wants to do, but can't because of that constant inflammation, static, if you will. You know, it's kind of like your, your CFS sim symptoms and whatnot you hear about out there. That's kind of related to that. You don't get the point where your body can rest and repair what it's supposed to. So um, a good way to break it down, let's say you have 100,000, let's make a number up, 100,000 repair slots. And that it would be like base excision, nucleotide excision, and mismatch repairs. And this is just a quick breeze by, but you guys can go read on it on your own. You'll find what I'm talking about. Those want to be repairing things in your genome that have been damaged by pathogens, environmental factors, and whatnot. Um, these fungi are really, really adept at cutting out your guanine from your GCATs and your genome. Your guanine is the one that they really focus on. That causes a little lesion, like a little burn, a little cut. And then you're all of a sudden, your letters are out of order. Now you have what's called a nonsense mutation. Uh, stop codons, really, is what it comes down to. And this can be reversed. It just needs a rest to do it. So the problem is you've got 100,000 slots that you can repair, but the pathogens might keep you at 110,000 spots that are getting damaged. So when you tamp down the pathogens, now you have more room. You have more space left in what you're repairing in the genome. Uh, so that's what we've been seeing a lot here uh, with this protocol is people are like, you know, you'll hear anecdotal stuff where people are like, hey, somebody, else, you know, I haven't seen for five years. All of, a say, all of a sudden is saying I look like I'm 20 years younger. And why is that? Well, we dug into it. And sure enough, we found these two pieces. And this goes back to the, the controls that 
get referenced a lot in our phenomenon circles. Um, these biological controls and what and everything that they've kind of the NHIs are implied to have enforced against us in some manner. So if you get to that second phase I'm talking about and you're pushing these things to homeostatic expression, um, there was an article that came out maybe two months, three months ago, probably three months ago, where they had located a way to get these two proteins uh, into homeostatic expression in a, a cell and it causes the cell to stop aging. Now, bear in mind, I'm not saying you guys are going to become Gilgamesh or anything. Okay, don't get me wrong. Uh, but those were those are found in a yeast cell. And we're, we're about 23% yeast in our genome, which you can take that for what it's worth one way or the other. I think it's probably in, cut in there because there's a lot of lateral gene transfer for this garbage that goes on. But the key here is that those two proteins, it's like if you think about an automobile and you have an engine and a transmission. So if you're sitting there with your, your foot on the gas and just cranking the motor, but not using the transmission at all, engaging a gear, what's going to happen? Your motor's going to burn out, right? And on the flip side of that, if you're just sitting there with your motor not, not on or running, you're just grinding around the transmission, cranking the gears for no reason because nothing's actually running, that's going to damage the transmission, right? So think about getting that so it's balanced, so you're not up on one or up on the other or down and vice versa. And you get them so they're kind of happening equally, roughly, for expression, so to speak. That's what stopped the aging. So I went in to the data and I tracked down the uh, homolog for both of those proteins in the human biome, I mean, the human genome. And sure as shit, there they were. And they were actually getting affected by two of the compounds we'd already, already all been using for about a year and a half. So it's kind of like you start seeing these patterns. And I think that's something that, I, you know, again, going back to a lot of the stuff that I hear from Lou and Gary and the guys that are kind of the top of the heap here for disclosure, they say that a lot. Look for the patterns. And you got to, you know, on, on that note real quick before I move to the rest of this protocol stuff, you got to ask yourself why are two of the heads of disclosure related to immunology and cancer study? It's a huge question. It was the whole time for me. I was like, why is, you know, why are these the guys that are talking about, you know, NHIs and ETs and whatnot? Like, what's that got to, what does their normal route of business have to do with any of this stuff? And, and sure enough, here it is, you know, so I think this is kind of what they're looking at, kind of what they've been dealing with. A lot of Gary's work paralleled a lot of what I and the other people in my group have put together for brain effects and the, the brain melt and the damage to the cord plex, uh, the cord plexitis, uh, some of the other stuff that Gary mentions a lot. Those are all tied into these fungi. I can show you like apples to apples, every piece of damage that is in those studies and what he's shown and what he's been concerned with around Havana and everything else for those syndromes. I can show you those with, you know, like cryptococcosis, uh, candidiasis, uh, some of the aspergillus stuff is, I've got a guy in the group that's a lot better with aspergillus, but he's finding a lot of like, like MS related, which of course ties back to the CFS symptoms. Um, he's, he's seen aspergillus and a lot of that. So that's the two first phases. So you, you kind of route the pathogens and get them under control to a degree in the biome. Most of the stuff, actually all the stuff that's in there does not really affect in a negative manner the positive parts of your biome. So the things that are beneficial to you, they get put in kind of torpor, for lack of a better way to say it, by those items in the protocol, the oregano and the black seed oil and the uh, NAC is the other big one. 
any of those don't really negatively affect that stuff but they do slam the the bad side what i would say like commensal only side of the pathogenic activity that's these yeast they don't do it they don't do anything for your for your system you know the ones that we focus on they only take from the system and they quote unquote don't damage the host that much that's not really the case it's just that it does it so slowly that it doesn't get noted as like oh you need to take a pill for that by the general medical community um i say you know if they're in there not doing anything for you why leave them and that's where we kind of came to this math so the third phase of it you know, the first and second you get it to get the pathogens out then you give the body kind of some extra pieces to heal itself with at the, at the genome level and the third phase that we just started working through in the group um really focuses on pushing the endogenous dmt production in the brain but it doesn't do it and in the body i should say too because that's another thing that's really confused out there by a lot of uh, a lot of people is the the focus on it just being a like a brain locked chemical with our endogenous dmt that's so it's really turned out to be off the mark um the reason i say this there's a couple receptors that were considered orphaned uh, and I'll just I'll just drop the bag here. The, the sigma receptors, sigma one and sigma two. So if you guys are taking notes to go check on stuff later, those are real key to this whole thing. And look at how they interact with DMT, dimethyltryptamine. Now the thing is, they were orphaned because they had not identified any naturally made inside our body endogenous ligand that would activate them, that would agonize them correctly. The only one that does it that we produce is dimethyltryptamine but these are body-wide right down to your like your bone tissue is how these these other receptors are expressed so if you're seeing these sigma ones and these sigma twos all through your body but there's no dmt to fire them what's wrong with the picture here you're not getting your dmt stores where they should be right that's the basic math so this chart i, I guess did you put that up shane already the the dmt map i do i believe i did i'll check and make sure it's in the nest right now yeah, it starts up at uh, L-tryptophan up top. I'll make sure he's got it in there so we can follow along a little. It's in there now. Okay, cool. So what you'll see up top is your your normal tryptophan. Uh, this third phase that we've been working is basically it's it's not like you're taking DMT just so that everyone's on that page. I'm not saying go out and cram a bunch of exogenous like externally sourced DMT into your body. We're we're pushing like base chemistry and things that help. Uh, methylation so you know the expression of methylation all that stuff so you'll see tryptophan up top and usually it's going to get decarboxylated by AADC to the right and then you'll see tryptamine and you have a double methylation meaning atomet and INMT methylate once you get to N-methyltryptamine it methylates it again and then you're at NN-dimethyltryptamine that's an entirely natural process so the left-hand side of this chart, we've got problems right off the bat. You see that AADC isn't hitting until like a step later, right? And you've got this tryptophan hydroxylase up top. Now, the problem with that is if you see that hydroxylase versus the tryptamine side, so it gets attached to that chemical chain and it doesn't leave until you get down to melatonin, but that's a whole different thing. That's a different step that we can talk about in a minute. But that hydroxylase kind of stays stuck all the way down. And this is an issue that's actually pathogenically driven. So two steps. First is that the expression of AADC is showing to be affected heavily by aspergillus. So it 
again, the, the whole thing with the guanine and those nonsense mutations, the stop codons, it's, you know, you, you have a bunch of expressions in there for AADC um, in the cells that would express it. And some of them get cut up. So that timing gets delayed. And by that timing getting delayed, your tryptophan is getting hit to change from tryptophan and tryptamine on the right-hand side. You get that tryptophan hydroxylase. And that hydroxylase is actually being created by, um, well, primarily, it's, it's still kind of expressed by us, but not a normal circumstance. It shouldn't be expressed like it is. Um, and it also gets made by this bacteria that is friendly to Aspergillus. So you run into these fungal affinities where you'll see viruses and bacteria that partner right up with them. Um, if you actually, let me get you a, a video real quick, Shane, to pop in there too. All right, go ahead. Real, real quick, Sue, go ahead. Since you, you unless you, it's a, is it a question you need answered or? Uh, it's more like a statement. Okay, make your statement. We'll let him keep going. I am having a complete panic attack. I'm actually hyperventilating because everything he's talking about, I have. I have chronic fatigue syndrome with ME, um, myalgic encephalomyelitis. I have breast cancer. I have fibromyalgia. I have migraines. And I have absolutely no energy. And I, I've been this way for years now, even before my diagnosis. And now I am so paranoid right now, wondering how the hell am I ever going to get back on my my feet and get through this i mean i'm not you know you gotta bear with me because i'm a i'm a researcher so a lot of this stuff you know we've had to like i say work through on our own um make sure everything's you know checked off all the boxes are ticked before we've jumped in real quick too let me let me say yeah. something on that seth so sue this is important for anyone that's gonna be listening because i'm actually going to start this space when he starts talking because all the documents are in here this is epic space so retweet it but anyone thinking about doing the protocol if you have doctors for any reason sue take it to them do not do this on your own okay make sure you take it to them run it by them they may you know sue don't give me a thumbs down this no, I didn't mean to. I touched it. Okay. Don't ever do that again or you're out. No, I'm kidding. So I just want to make sure everyone takes, do your research, but especially if you have a doctor. Don't be doing some crazy shit that could hurt you or stop no. something because you think this is the end all to be all. He's just giving us information. Said information will help a lot of people, but you got to use your filters and your doctors. So go ahead, Seth. Yeah, actually, I want to, I want to kind of echo off that for a second too. Um, so I'm on my third realm of cancer, Sue. Because I've had lymphoma basically since birth. They just right. didn't get always diagnosed the right way. So, yeah, I mean, and, and like Shane's saying, it's important to keep that care stuff in the loop. A lot of doctors will look at the things that are in the protocol because I've had this come back to me over and over and over where people have gone to their doctors and said, hey, I was going to start taking these things just to help my biome, whatever it might be. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's not going to, doesn't have conflict with whatever you so that's the big deal make sure it's not conflicting with whatever you got for care plan stuff because again i'm not a doctor i can tell you all day what these things do in your body i can show you the math and the research and the data um but here's the thing about it you know being sketched out about it like you know because i i got to that point too like i had those like couple couple months at the beginning where i was like wow everything is fungi everything is fungi and i, I had to step back and be like no you know what i've you know the 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 you can look through the research and find the pieces that fit like you're saying, like you're hearing all these things I'm saying and, and you're reflecting those against what you've dealt with in your life. And I've heard that from hundreds, thousands of people at this point. But, you know, like I'll use a, I've got an older friend I'll use as an example. He's a Quint bypass patient. 
um, and he had his bypass done in 2018. Yeah, it's 2018. Uh, this guy was like above 90% blockage in the in the four big ones, and then like 100% blocked on some small one that it kind of developed itself. I think is like a way to get around some of the other blockages. I don't know. I don't. I'm not a heart doctor or anything like that. So he had his he had his quint bypass done, um, and I showed him parts of this protocol because it had changed you know changed my life so much figuring this stuff out and I saw it change about a bunch of other people I'm like hey I know that you've had this stuff with your heart surgery you're a little bit older age bracket you know he's in his 70s um check these things out with your doctor and see if they'll help you know see what they say about them and he went in for uh, like a recheck last let's see it was last summer yeah so maybe late spring early summer this year and they actually ended up reducing his normal meds and and so on so it's it's something where you know i think as long as you're making sure to tick those boxes with your your physicians and your even just the pharmacist and whatnot can tell you some stuff you know just check those things out with them you know but don't i wouldn't go into it being nervous though you know something that's already been in all of us for however long it's been there from the look of the way the data showing it um so i'm gonna go back to this tryptophan thing for a moment i did put a video in um for Shane to post up, it's called uh, fungal highways or fungal freeways. It's in the nest, by the way. Yeah. So this is kind of the idea that I'm talking about, where you'll see these things like have these affinities, where they'll they'll kind of like run alongside the fungi, and these are and these hyphenations are the are the the, the big issue that happen medically. Um, they kind of you know get in between your uh, like I'm sure you guys have heard about leaky gut. That's kind of what that is. They're kind of like penetrating that with these hyphenations. Um, and that's where you get into the, it goes from epithelial to endothelial and so on. Um, so just so you guys have that in mind. So the, one of these affinities is this one between aspergillus and this bacteria that actually expresses hydroxylase. So now you've got aspergillus first off hitting your AADC and causing that delay in expression. And then you've got this other bacteria that's partnered with it making the hydroxylase that's grabbing your tryptophan before you can carb decarb it out to tryptamine now so that's kind of that first step there so now you're seeing you know tryptophan to the t hydroxylase down to you know the five hydroxy tryptophan then you get your serotonin and everything here you now on the right hand side we're looking at the double methylation getting us nn dimethyltryptamine if you hit that double methylation off that hydroxylase side the left hand side what do you get? You get 5-HO-DMT bufotinine, right? So there's your hydroxyl again with the HO and your DMT, but we also call it bufotinine. And when you start looking at, and this is where it's going to all tie together for, for everybody in the room here, when you start looking at elevations of bufotinine in waste products, so urine basically, you start looking for elevations on that, and you see it specifically with you know, the really high elevations. You see it with autism spectrum schizophrenia, chronic fatigue. So you see how this is all kind of pairing back to what we're, I'm getting at with these things being in there, doing this work against our natural chemistry in order to, to divert it over to this bufotinine. And of course it does get to, you know, melatonin, but that's a, that's a whole different thing because that's more pineal locked, uh, pineal gland and whatnot. So uh, I did hear someone mention while I was out uh, doing air and stuff, the third eye thing. I'm talking about when I talk about it, I'm talking about the physical side of it, uh, just to get that out there. So th there's some issues where your ser uh, your your DMT stores are kind of locked 
you know, without getting these pathogens out of the way, it's kind of locked in your, your pineal gland is how most people see it and understand it to be around. Um, it's not all there, of course, you know, it does show up in other areas, but it's way, way lower level than what it looks like it should be at. Um, something that's really interesting about bufotenine is we don't, it's not really friendly to mammals, uh, the mammalian biology. It is friendly to fungi. And what's not friendly to fungi is our natural NN dimethyltryptamine. Because that trips those, uh, I'm going to go back to these sigma ones for a second, because this is really the end, like the, the third phase of all this stuff, is this DMT upramp that we're seeing. When you trip the sigma ones, and uh, sigma twos as well, but that's a whole different thing that's more cancer tied. Um, sigma ones, they actually stop that exchange of the calcium ions, like the one that Candida was doing with that poke I showed earlier in the chat, um, where it's kind of poking the cell and it's getting the LDH, the lactate dehydrogenase to come out. Um, that really ties back to being a calcium ion issue is what that boils down to. It's supposed to stay in your mitochondria and your nuclear membrane, supposed to be something that your own body and your own signaling is in control of. It's not when those pores are there, obviously. Sigma ones, they actually flip it in the other direction so that the mitochondria retain their calcium ions correctly. So they're not getting pushed out and bounced around by pathogens and everything else. So technically what it's doing is it's kind of shunting off the disease access at like a very, very core level. Um, this is in the data too. Um, you guys, if you go and look up that Sigma one, Sigma two with DMT combination, you'll see that illustrated immediately on PubMed. Uh, it's right there, it's real straightforward. But what we had to start happening is when people had gone through these first two phases, for some people, it starts right off the bat where they start having these really intense lucid dreams, these really intense remote view situations, um, which I, I, knowing what I did know at the time, I mean, I'm talking like a year and a half ago, I hadn't really come across the phenomenon stuff. I was talking with Shane about that this weekend too. Like this is, I fell into this sideways because I was just trying to figure out how to like keep disease out of myself and my wife so we could have a healthy baby. <laughs> That's all I was after. Uh, so it turned into this whole thing. And I realized like, wait a second, this all connects to what these guys are talking about. I actually came across you first, Astral, to be honest. Uh, your your account came across my, my view. And I was like, eh, maybe I should pay attention to some of this stuff because what was happening to us is kind of what he's been talking about too. Um, so we started getting these reports. People saying our dreams are all increased. Um, I started having, like, I could go through a whole list of stuff that happened with me, uh, and it has been continuing to happen with me, where these LDs have basically become, like, a, like three major categories of, I, I would say they're closer to being, like, an out-of-body experience than a lucid dream. Uh, but, you know, there's there's it's happening all over the place with this group. And there were some people that were kind of, I would say, stuck. Like, they couldn't quite get there. They were trying to meditate. They were trying to follow along with the lucid dream process that we had kind of put together and it wasn't working for them up to the point that they moved to this third phase of everything. So they have gone through the, you know, remove the pathogens, settle the repairs, and then move on to this DMT push. Um, and just to kind of framework this because it's not in the documents yet, because I'm still working through how to like format the, the notes to give to the guys to actually do the writing on that end. Um, it's basically tryptophan. Um, P5P, which helps with the methylation side because it's like a B6 step in, but a real it's kind of a lot more tame than direct pyridoxine. So P5P, um, let me go down and check that real quick. Hang on. I know, like you mentioned, uh, the lucid dreaming that 
I've read about some studies that actually took part with galantamine or galantamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, have you looked into or, or I'm sure you have some information on just maybe like some of the uh, substances or things other than DMT that might help people or get people to achieve that sort of like altered state of consciousness or like lucid dreaming out of body state sort of like. Well, yeah, uh, most of what I've run into with what you're referring to, because actually one of the guys was really big on the DMT pushes early on. Um, so galantamin, from what we put together, was really looking like it's kind of causing the existing stores that you naturally have of dimethyltryptamine to get a little bit of a push out into the brain. And here's something about that. There's a, a bunch of Sigma-1s right in the dentate gyrus that I mentioned a little bit ago. And when you trip those with dimethyltryptamine, and you can actually trip those with exogenous chemicals too, but we try to stick with, you know, letting your body build the blocks, so to speak. But what you're getting at there is, is definitely part of what's come across our research before. Yeah. So galantamin was one. Um, he's got a bunch in his bracket. I got to get him on X more. If you guys want to follow him, it's uh, Mac- McClear. I don't know what he uses for a handle, but um, he's on here just a little bit. He's following me, uh, and I think my, maybe he's following uh, Moo as well. Um, I'll try to so, find him and post it in here. Yep, yep. So, uh, he, like I said, he's not on. He's not. He's not really on here much. He doesn't post a lot or anything like that. But those do. Those other exogenous chemicals, like you're talking about, they do have that impact. I just think they're not like building the stores up, uh, and that's an interesting thing too. Um, you have these storage vesicles all through your body, uh, all through your, you know, all through the cells that express those. They're everywhere to store the dimethyltryptamine that you make naturally. So you've got, you know, I'm talking all through your nervous system, man, um, and and they'll store it for up to 14 days. So you get these pushes going on, and uh, I did go downstairs to check that stack because um, I've only been running it for about a week and a half here. But it's um, SAME, so S A M dash E. And that's a step in for Adamet. So you'll see that on that chart on the right-hand side and also right where that bufotinine issue that I in, that was right in the middle. That Adamet um, is basically SAMe. So we've got that one. And then the pyridoxine, well, the, the P5P is helping with some of the methylation side. So like INMT, AADC, um, those are all tying into that. If you have an AADC issue, like if you're under-expressing AADC, uh, usually a physician would put you on pyridoxine, so B6, but uh, the P5P, like I say, is way, a way gentler version. Uh, tryptophan is pretty obvious. Uh, that's just what it is. You know, I, I eat a lot of fish too, so I get a pretty good store of that, but I take some extra. Um, and then we stuck with, because you get a lot of selenium hit when you're doing some, like certain methylation that's related to this process. So we ended up going, instead of seleno selenomethionine, which is one I don't really like uh, biologically. It's a little harsher. Uh, selenocysteine is the one that we ended up choosing for that because it's such a low bio load. You can take like 100 micrograms of it uh, in the data. Anyway, it shows that you know, like the really low levels of that still have the impact. Um, and I added in uh, this other one called NACET, N-A-C-E-T, which is a, a, a NAC ester ether. And that is like, again, it's really low bio load. Like it's something like uh, 100 milligrams of that is equal to 20 times that NAC level. But it, it really keys in on methylation a- aspects too. So those processes get kind of shored up by those 
four or five right there. Um, some people in the group have had good luck with adding in um, alpha GPC, where that's like a neurotransmitter related. They, they, they're testing that in the direction of trying to clear those vesicles that have like the errant chemistries stored up because they kind of cross a bit. Um, so kind of fire those, get that to clear, and then it can store what you're making on the DMT side correctly. Uh, and then I, uh, and this one is really like, I really, really, really like research this one. If you guys decide to even look into it, um, there's the, there are these uh, pyracetum or recetum class chemicals that were around a while ago for like headaches and whatnot. Um, and like pyracetum, and then it moved to like phenylpyracetum. And then this one that I've located a while back, like way early in the research loops, uh, called NOPEPT and N O O P E P T. I think how it's spelled. That one's really interesting because you only need, you know, I, in, in my own testing, I've only used about 10 or 15 milligrams of this stuff. Um, but it actually trips those sigma ones I was talking about in the dentate gyrus directly. So it's like almost like just putting a band aid right on that and it makes those activate. And when those activate, that dentate is actually what makes your neural stem cells. So that's where you get your neurogenesis from in the data. You, know, you can see it in the studies out there about around NOPEPT. It's pretty sparse, but you will be able to find it right on PubMed and everything else. Um, there's some questions back and forth about, you know, how the couple of the studies were done, but um, that was only re related to like the pictures this guy was using and it, it's the whole thing. You know, they get retractions really easy out there in, in uh, academia land. But um, I would say, you know, to, to answer your question, more directly with those other compounds like galantamin and I'll, I'll get Mac to chime in because those other ones are out there and he's mentioned them a few times and he tested those at first until we put this more recent phase together um, and he, he was like you know what I can see what's happening now more clearly in my results uh, well even like people going like would go on well, would search on Amazon right and there's like 50 different things like pills and shit you can get so it would be good to have like I know that there's been research done too into some of this stuff, but like backed research and like, you know, there's not like some pill you have to buy, but there are like some substances and things that you could like take that could achieve this. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, I, um, what, I, what I'm seeing more in the data is that they're kind of causing like release of stored dimethyltryptamine uh, and not like a shoring up of the overall system. So yeah, you're right. It, they, they can do, they can have that impact. They do cause, you know, like uh, better remote view states, better lucid dream states and so on. Uh, and I see it more as like releasing the stores your body has been able to make even around the pathogen interference. Um, so yeah, I mean, they are out there. You're right. And they do have the impact. It's just, you know, I, I, we, we've kind of taken that track of giving these real base chemicals to address the gaps that are in that uh literal kind of roadmap chemically for getting from tryptophan over to the nndmt that's that's what the all these things i just mentioned kind of shore up but i, I think this kind of goes along with your point really astral um you have to get those other two steps kind of out of the way because if you just slam this stuff in there without taking care of like the underpinnings of the body and the biology and the biome and everything else you you're gonna have a bad time you know, I, I, I tried some of this stuff and pushing this stuff too early, early on in the research loops. And I had to step back a bit because it's like, okay, you know, I can tell I'm getting like, not a real headache feel, but like kind of not a little bit out of sorts, I guess is a good way to say it. So 
the more that I clean things out and then kind of shored up the repairs, and I'm a real bad case. I'm like the super far end of how bad you can have this stuff racked up in your dome. Um, you know, it took me a lot longer, and it might be less for other people, especially people that have already been kind of used to these processes, which, you know, again, I'm kind of coming into it only a year, year and a half back as far as the dimethyltryptamine and lucid dreams and RVs and all this stuff. I'm really fresh to that stuff. Uh, but the, the the research end, you know, that's what I'm kind of presenting to you is that there's there's a way to get around it and let the body do its own natural processes and it's all through you. Um, one thing I did talk with Shane about this weekend we should probably talk about is extension of your EM field because I think that's a real big key on what's happening. Um, so just to finish up with that third phase that I just outlined, we had people, like I say, that were stuck uh, and couldn't get there. They couldn't they couldn't get the LD thing right. They couldn't get the RV thing right. And then they started doing the stack. And all of a sudden, it's like I literally have like three or four messages from people. Yeah, you know what? Those don't have names on them. I'll dump those in there, too, for you, Shane. Hang on. And this is just like the last. I'd say probably like week, week and a half with this. When you say stack, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, you know, I, I I don't like that term, but it comes out of my mouth a lot more than it should. Uh, th that grouping of those chemistries, so the tryptophan, the SAMe, okay. the P5P, yeah. and the NACA, the stuff that's basically addressing all those gaps on that chart uh, for the DMT chart, that's, that's really what those are doing. So when I say stack, it's kind of like taking those close together so that, you know, for me, um, I've got a different process than a lot of folks, I think, because I talked about that with Shane, too, over the weekend. And it seemed like it was maybe something that um, a lot of people don't do the way I do it. Like, I've I've got a process where I don't really try to RV, like, directly, like, in a meditative state where I'm trying to stay wakeful. I do it in a, in a process where I'm, like, kind of meditating myself to sleep, in a way. Uh, the only way I can really explain it. Um, Actually, you know, I'll go over that real quick because there's a lot of you guys in here that know this better than I do. Maybe you can chime in and help me out a little bit with direction here. So what we started doing um, when we were talking more about these in group, we noticed that there was a trend people mentioned. And I thought I was the only person that could do this before I started talking to these guys about it. Um, you close your eyes to go to sleep at night, right? And you have like visual snow, visual static. You guys know what I'm talking about that there? Um, yeah. Kind of okay. All right. So... I, I've been doing this since I was a kid, but I didn't realize what I was doing. Um, I can move that static around, for lack of a way to say it. So I can, like, push it out of the center of my vision field to the point where it just kind of is, like, the static's not there. And that's what I was doing when I first got better from all this stuff that was in my body, uh, all this all this fungi and everything else that was complicating my life. Um, I started focusing on that when I'd be going to sleep. And I, I, this one night, I had this feeling of kind of a push-pull like it's, it's kind of hard to explain it um but it's like a like center of forehead i guess like where you would consider third eye if most people talk about it that way but kind of like a push-pull feeling like while i'm drifting off to sleep and i just instead of like fighting it or actually going to sleep i just let it ride and i could kind of feel myself like just flip right into this lucid dream and it was the most lucid of any lucid dream i've ever had up to that point and i started talking to a couple friends in the group about it that are also doing the same hacking and everything. And they were like, oh yeah, I can do that too. And I never knew anybody could see that. I thought it was just something that like my childhood brain made up and that I, would, I carried with me throughout life. So they, they started talking more about it. Like, yeah, for some of them, it's like they, they explain it as moving Tetris pieces. Some of them are like, yeah, I, I 
I move it out of the way and I kind of can like keep it cleared and push it back. I kind of play with the, the shape of it. And then we started realizing like all of us are doing the same thing and getting the same feeling out of this. Like we get to this point where that's cleared out and we drift off to the sleep and we're immediately in an LD after this kind of push pull feeling. And so we kept, we stuck with it. We started talking more about it. Uh, and this is as we're progressing through these different steps and stages of the protocol and testing and everything else, getting things more and more cleaned out internally. Um, we started having reports come in regularly, you know, probably a couple dozen people that I know in person at this point um, of a color shift that would happen. So you get that kind of static cleared out of there and you get this color push. And for me, it's like a couple colors that cycle. Uh, the best way I can explain it is like there's a, a blue that'll hit and then the middle of the blue will turn red and that'll kind of burn away the blue and it kind of keeps cycling in that manner. And that got more and more controllable. And then I could kind of like focus, like set intent on, I guess this, this is a lot more like RV in some ways, but I could set intent before drifting off into sleep. And the LD I would land in was what I had set for intent. So if I wanted to go like, like be in a certain area or go experience or get a certain lesson or kind of meditate on something in particular, I could do that. And this started getting reported by other people too. They're like, oh yeah, I'm able to do this and I can, I can get to these spots and, focus on something, set an intent during that little meditative process before sleep and boom, right into this super intense lucid dream. Um, so that got more ramped up for everybody after this whole DMT push, you know, of chemicals on this third phase that we kind of put together here. Um, so again, that's, that's like my own take on this. And I know that like the RV thing, I get a lot of, not on Twitter as much, but I get pushback from other groups about whether or not that's like a, a RV or an LD or an OBE, like I call it an LD, like a lucid dream state. Um, you know, does but, your group um, have any experiences with like when people are in astral form, out of body, or lucid dreaming? Like you talk about fungus, fungi, like being very close or like almost like attached to people. Mm -hmm. Do you have instances where like they see like this fungi on their body or like something on their body <laughs> and like they brush it off or some shit uh. like that? You know, it's funny. Uh, yeah, actually, that's that's like the first thing that happens for most people within like seven, seven, 14 days, that first couple of weeks, most people uh, in, in my instance. Yeah, I'll go over this real quick. My instance uh, about the fourth or fifth day. And this is when it was still RX level. So it was still like fluconazole land um, just after Nystatin, a couple of three days of fluconazole. I had this dream really, really lucid. Uh, it, it wasn't one that I had set intent for, so it was just kind of a, a space, like a blank-ish space, not real, not real. It was real nondescript, nothing super corporeal, except for I'm looking in the distance and I see someone coming towards me, and it's me. I'm in my body, as far as I'm concerned. This lucid dream is totally lucid. You know, my hands, my arms, my thoughts, the whole works, and I see me walking towards me. But when I got when it got closer. I, you know, I told Shane about that this weekend. Um, it, it was like seeing Beetlejuice, if you can picture it, like yourself, but it's kind of Beetlejuice. That's the best way I can say it. And it was doing this really weird, like, conversation with me that was very adversarial. It was kind of like it got right up in my face, like a couple inches from my face. And it would keep saying, if you keep messing with that, it's going to kill you. Don't mess with it. It's going to take you out if you do it. And what it was talking about is the tumor that I've been working on on the back of my neck. Uh, Cause I had these, you know, like I said, I had it when I was younger, had a situation in the early twenties where I had to get one taken out on that same side 
uh, turned out quote unquote benign, but it was just definitely lymphoma. And they said, oh, it's not, it's not metastatic, so don't worry about it. And then it came back, you know, probably four or five years ago, uh, it came back just behind the spot that they had taken out surgically. So that's what this thing was doing. It was, it was indicating the thing on my, you know, this, this, this tumor, this lymphoma tumor on my neck. It's saying, you know, if you keep messing with that, it's going to kill you. That'll be the end of you, all this stuff like that. And, you know, sorry, I'm going to give it a violent, a violence trigger here. Um, I got sick of it telling me that, and it was really up in my face. It was like extra aggro, uh, super short staccato. Like I don't talk the way this thing was talking to me, but it was totally like my voice looking like me, the whole works. And I just, I, I pulled out, you know, something for a weapon and I just basically removed this thing, uh, from the dream in a way. Uh, I say stem to stern. I, I and it just turned into dust and I woke up. Now I've had other people say they've interacted with uh, similar shadow versions of themselves. Uh, other people have reported that they'll have something that's related to these fungi or this like blobby black form show up and say, Hey, you should stop doing the protocol. You should stop, you know, trying to do antifungal work, all this weird stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely a recurring theme. Yeah. To answer your question. Um, I had one person tell me like they were in this one dream where there was like a, maybe a, a kind of a, sh a bad reflection of themselves again, like what I dealt with, but it wasn't exactly them. And then they kind of fought it off a little bit. And then inside the lucid dream, they fell asleep into another lucid dream. Um, and then that thing was in there and kind of pulled them down into this other lucid state. And then they escaped their own way from that, similar to what I had done. So yeah, it's a pretty common thing. Mm -hmm. Spooky, but common. Yep. Do you have a question, Fringe? Fringe, you got a question? Yeah. Uh, first of all, this is probably the best space of the entire year as far as just being helpful to a large group of people who can all implement this protocol and you can just stay in touch and get back with each other and kind of see how things are going. Thank you so much uh, to Old Vet and to Seth. Uh, Seth, my question is, number one, do you know anything about milk kefir and whether this is good or bad as far as what you're discussing? And number two, is there anything uh, dietary we can change or address to help with this protocol? Well, um, on, the, on the kefir, uh, yeah, so Basically, if you have anything that's on the uh, lacto backside of things, so uh, any of those positive, like beneficial bacteria, they're the anti-affinity side is the best way I would say it in most cases. So that's something that's beneficial. I eat a lot of skir, which is like a Icelandic kind of version of yogurt, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. Uh, they, they use a, a pretty specific bacteria uh virus actually uh, i should say um that does a lot of the work there i've had some people go through uh like a gut reset that they found in the group i, I want to let me just t check my notes real quick here hang on okay so yeah so life extension and this is a biome reset thing if you can imagine uh you know how those um those fecal transplant transplants got really popular four or five years ago, uh, right around before, just before COVID. And people were saying that it was like causing people to like de-age and their biome would reset itself and everything else. This is like that without the fecal transplant part. They've got the bacteria and the 
the phages that both kind of partner up with all that stuff. I'm getting the name of it real quick for you. Uh, yeah, Fluoracyst is the name of it. Fluoracyst GI with phage technology. That's the full name. It's like a 30-day run that some people have done and had really good luck with it. So that's one that some people have worked with. Uh, there's a bunch of reports in the group with that. Uh, I would say, you know, from I, I can give you my own example of what I've done. Uh, I found that gluten wasn't the problem for me, which is funny to say with, you know, being an APSID patient of almost 50 years, it's not gluten causing the problem. Uh, in my experience, it's the yeast itself doing the bad work. And actually, I've got a I've got another slide real quick here. For hey, that. Seth, are you okay if I post the podcast you're on with John? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, up there, guys. Bear, bear with me. Like when I'm when I'm like actually talking and stuff, uh, especially if I'm on camera, I've got the worst stage fright ever. So I move my hands a lot. Just let you guys know I'm a hand talker. Just bear with that. Uh, but it's a good interview. It has a lot of the, the notes and stuff in there. Um, let me grab this other slide real quick, too. I'll show you guys something with, uh, yeah, here it is. All right, so I don't want to spook anybody too much. So I'm going to let you know ahead of time, this slide that he's going to dump in is a, um, it's related to cancer research. And there was a, uh, a study done by a, a college, well, university over in Israel, which they analyzed 17,000 500 uh, samples, cancer cell samples, across 35 cancer types. And there was not a single one of those cells that didn't have fungal genetics in it. That should throw a flag. Um, and what you're going to see here, if you look at the radial section down at the bottom of that chart, when you look at the species down there, obviously you'll see the ones I've been talking about, like, you know, Candida albicans is in there. They don't mention the cryptococcus and stuff. Uh, those are more, we're, we're looking at those more from like a glioblastoma side of cancers. So it's kind of a complicated thing because there's a bunch of cascades and failures that happen to get it to being a, gl a glioblastoma. But if you look, there's so many of these that are Saccharomyces. So you got Saccharomyces cerevisiae, Saccharomyces boulardii, um, Uvarum's in there. So there's combinations. So these are all, but all those like, you know, roughly 60% of that chart is all Saccharomyces species. And there's a lot of weird crossover there too, by the way, just as a little, little off ramp here. Um, they move those names around a lot in microbiology. So like Candidas and Cryptococci, they've been previously billed as Saccharomyces. Uh, different species of Saccharomyces and they get moved out. Uh, like um, Terula yeast is one that's pretty popular in food on Western shelves. Uh, that's actually a Cryptococcus relative. So, and Saccharomyces is kind of a closer Candida rel relative, for example. So I would say, you know, check in, and this is going to get real, uh, you know, make sure you're doing your own things you need to for research on this. Of course, I'm not a, not a person who can help you out with what your food intake should be, but uh, we, at my house anyway, and a lot of us in the group, we've we've started to completely cut out any, everything that has to do with yeast. So that's whether it's live yeast, you know, yeast that you would think is just in your bread or whatever, um, you know, yeast extracts. Uh, a lot of those are still carrying. And the other guy that I keep mentioning, Mac, um, he's done a lot of legwork on that to find where these fractional proteins from these yeast cells 
still have the mycotoxic effect inside the body when they get in there. So they're still doing damages, even though it's not anything that you're going to see like immediate progressive damage on. It would be similar to like sitting in a moldy room, breathing aspergillus kind of stuff, not the spores themselves, but like those uh, chemicals they off put as a result of what they're doing for work around. Uh, so I would say, you know, probiotic foods are are good because they're something that's adding to the army that's working against the commensal pathogenic side of stuff that's how i would say that you know as far as my own perspective on it um and that's again going back to to that first stage of the protocol actually the whole protocol really is intended to not affect those positive like beneficial bacteria and, and otherwise phages and whatnot and really kind of tamp down and you can find it in the data too it'll tamp down everything on the pathogenic side like candida uh can't resist oregano oil for example the carvacrol that i mentioned earlier in there it just goes right through their membrane it just pierces it done they can't resist that and that's that's one of the big issues and the reason i have to focus on that and keep bringing that up is because the areas i work in for the the antimicrobial research side uh with the resistance that's you know southeast asia and these regions that just don't have access to pharmaceuticals like we do over here in western culture so we have to know and think about things that hey you know what you guys can pop a crop here of oregano because that grows just about everywhere and then just set up a simple processing extraction like you know whatever that would be uh like you know black seed you can cold press that you don't need anything special you can cold press the oil out of that and it has all kinds of like natural chemistries active compounds like timoquinone and limonene and all these other ones that are in there that actually are antifungal so that's why I focus a lot on and I keep circling back to that is because those are really easily accessible. Uh, if, if, you know, I, I'm not a end of the world type guy or anything, but you know, if shit really hits the fan, you need to know like, Hey, what can I do to t take care of myself and the people around me somewhat? And if you can grow a decent sized crop of these things I'm talking about in the regions you're in, boom, you've got at least some level of medicine to kind of keep that at bay in case things aren't there to take care of that for you and that's you know that's a big part of that work like i mentioned these guys are out in these villages that there's 40 or 50 people in a village and they're you know miles from anybody else they're miles from you know what we would consider civilization but they know all the plants in their area that do all this same kind of work so that's where we started kind of focusing so to answer your question more directly friends yeah there are definitely some things you can do with your diet mostly avoid yeast is what we have found um, some people switch out sugar for xylitol because that's a really heavy antifungal component people overlook a lot. Um, that actually pierces hyphenations. Um, so we're talking about candida and aspergillus and so on. They have these structures they build, these hyphenation structures, the mold side of their switching back and forth from yeast to the hyphal structure. And this will actually penetrate those. It kind of almost like, you know, it's coming from birch, which are pretty well shored up against fungi when they're alive out there in nature. And that's that's another thing you can think about too. If it's something that you can find that's edible, that's a food stuff that survives molding on the ground, it's probably got some component that helps keep things like that at bay. So, you know, I, I eat a lot of vegetables. I eat a lot of whole grains, a lot of rice, that kind of stuff, you know, real simple diet, uh, whole as much as I can, whole food component stuff. Um, I hope that answers that pretty well. I know we got a hand up to uh, V. What's up? Hi. Uh, thanks, Shane. Um, friend, I want to give you a hug. And uh, Seth, thank you. My mind is 
is buzzing and blown. Um, I have a short, very short relation to this struggle with yeast. I, on my third baby, I was, uh, I nursed all my kids and I went to, um, I had a huge infection. So I had a huge yeast infection. And every time I would nurse, it felt as if I had glass trying to come out of me, out of my uh, chest. It was scraping. It was very violent. And um, I'm a martyr by nature. So I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to get through this. So I'm going to take whatever I can. I'm, I went to the doctor. I had, of course, mastitis and all this stuff. And tried everything. I was basically naked for three months because I couldn't even have anything on me. And I used this purple stuff. I used all the antibiotics. I tried everything that uh, I could research and think of until I tried. And I was going to ask you if you heard anything about uh, grapefruit seed extract. Because as soon as I took it, in three days, it was gone. And I yeah. tried everything for three months. Yeah, and actually. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. That, so, and that so, was what I was going to focus on. It was like that and anything, if, if it's also related to anything with to do with nerve pain. Thank oh, you. yeah. Yeah. The nerve pain. Okay. Yeah. So one, one common report we get a lot and what I, I experienced myself, uh, sort of everybody else early on, uh, we would get these, these kind of uh, nerve reactions as these things are dying off and clearing out of your nervous system in areas it's like you get sensation back that you didn't know you ever had ever i'm, I'm talking like the like sense of touch hearing sight smell all of it everything um so yeah we would notice what, what we termed just internally we, we would call them pings so you'd be sitting there you know a week or two into this early part of the process is especially true if this RX antifungals in the mix, by the way. Um, but just in general, you, you get these parts of your body that like wake up. And the first thing you get is you get like a painful kind of die off type feeling that I can only explain as like a pinprick that's really intense and then just disappears. And then that whole section of nerves in that area are like, they're not hypersensitive, but they're, it's like the awareness itself gets turned up in a way. Um, so yeah, that's definitely like I see that tied in with a nerve pain side for sure. Uh, these things love residing in your nerve endings. Um, one of the other researchers that was with us early on working on a lot of this uh, figured out that they they these things uh, because of the way they're structured chemically, they use a lot of quorum sensing to move around the body and find you uh, and find where to like kind of set into new areas. So you get like a bad bruise. And they're going to sit into those areas because that's something that's like kind of food for them in a way. There's a lot of like extra chemical components that happen around that that type of damage and that type of pain. Um, so they'll kind of gravitate towards that stuff. Um, so, yeah, it does tie in for sure uh, with a lot of nerve issues. And on the grapeseed part. Um, nope, grapefruit seed. Grapefruit seed. Sorry, grapefruit seed. Um, you ever heard of clear XLER? It's like a nasal spray that got yeah. popular towards the beginning of COVID. Okay. So those guys actually have that in their formulation. And funny enough, they also have xylitol as part of that formulation. Uh, and there's one they call Clear Rescue, which has Carvacrol in the formulation. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely has antifungal activity heavily. Uh, it's not really in the protocol outline 
as part of the main three components in that first stage. But it is recommended as, you know, if you have something with sinus issues and, and so on, that actually helps a lot. And for me uh, in particular, because I, before I got better um, in 21, I had a couple of really strange things going on with the oral mucosa and my, my sinuses and everything else up there. Um, I had required or they, they said I would need a sinus lift before I could get a couple pieces of work done for some of these teeth that had issues because of long COVID and then the fungal ramp up. Um, and that's no longer necessary because of using, uh, in my estimation, my own determination on it is because partially the clear on top of getting rid of the fungi and that would be that grapeseed extract and the xylitol and everything else in, in my, Jackie, my nose. You gotta watch the grapeseed. It's grapefruit seed. Grapefruit <laughs> seed. Grapefruit seed. Yeah, thank you. Yep. <laughs> and, the only, the, and the the brand is like the GSE. I guess they're like GSE. Yeah. Yep. But they have like tons of their own studies which is ref, referring like animals and their hooves like horse hooves things like that getting rid of the fungus on there anyway that was the only one that at least for me worked in three days and then i i use it periodically um piggybacking off the nerves really quick my mom just had knee surgery two different knees three years apart both times nerve pain she just she can't figure out why she has major nerve pain all the time with after surgery and i'm thinking i bet you there's some relation to this for her that i'm gonna you know try to get her to do the protocol or something um because it just doesn't get she doesn't get relief after cer certain surgeries yeah um, you know, I have someone in my family that's had a lot of surgeries like that too. And he's had all, Oh, you know, actually, yeah, this will, this will throw a flag for a lot of people too. So he is in an age bracket where he was the first, uh, the first person in our state vaccinated for polio. So that he's, he's, you know, again, in that seventies, eighties age bracket. And, um, he had a lot of lower back issues from a couple surgeries there that the pain on that stuff was alleviated for him. And I'm talking, these are decades old surgeries too, like major surgeries, fusions, um, you know, all kinds of different stuff happened there. Like he had a, a disc reduction first and a fusion. Uh, those both like let way up. He said, you know, this feels close to before I had surgeries is how he relays it to me. Um, but here's the kicker. Uh, and if you know anyone that's had polio, they lose a lot of like the, the fine sensitivity in their nerves and especially in the lakes where that was a big issue with polio and he had polio when he was I'm trying to remember now i think he told me it was two or three years old is when he had polio um and they couldn't do much at the beginning because it was before he was like right before the vaccines actually got made for polio at all and so he he lost all that fine nerve ending sensation and everything uh on his legs you know from like mid thigh down and he called me one day uh, after working through the first couple stages of this stuff, uh, you know, he was just doing the basic like NAC and oregano and black seed oil stuff. And he called me about three or four weeks in probably. I'm thinking about the dates a little better. And he said, hey, you know, I got to let you know for the first time in my life that I can remember, I woke up this morning and when I got out of bed, I could feel the sheets move on my legs. And that's all nerve death you know, with polio, it, it kills the nerves off. And that's why you lose that sensation. He got that return just by going through this process. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a component of, of all this, you know, the, the nerve issues. 
Um, Seth, just for people who are just joining the space, just new to the space, could you just briefly go over again the correlation between these hyperdimensional entities or whatever we want to call them and the actual parasites, viruses, et cetera, that we have in our bodies? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a substrate issue. So you have your own, you have your substrate where your consciousness attaches to. This is just in our model that we've worked up over the last couple of years here. Um, so your consciousness in our model is not originating in the body itself. Okay. Um, so you have to kind of take a leap there a little bit, but the idea is that your consciousness attaches to your microtubules, your tubulin, your neural structures. There's are what I would call an interface, so a, a different substrate that's in there roughly from birth, uh, in some cases before birth, but because they pass this placental barrier and everything else, they set up shop very, very early. Even if you don't get a bad presentation out of the womb like I had, you still have them there to some degree. It might not be a crippling issue like it was for me and so on, but um, they're still there. So as you grow, they grow, uh, and these microtubule and tubulin uh, constructions that they make out of things that we don't have the chemistry to make actually or break up for that matter if you go and look up fungal melanins and fungal tubulin uh, you'll find that it's very hard for our system to interrupt those as long as that fungi or that colony is alive to support the activity of it it'll stay viable and valid so if you think of our consciousness attaching to our substrate of microtubules they have something they're attaching to their side of the microtubules that are already interwoven and ingrained in our systems from brain to body all the way through. Does that kind of breeze that well enough? Yes, it does. Thank you very much okay, for that. Sure, and then sure. uh, I don't want you to have to repeat yourself too much, but I'm just looking through the protocol and I'm not finding the whole stack you were referencing. I'm not sure if maybe old vet posted that somewhere or, or if that's a separate paper or something separate. For the tryptophan side on that last stage, yeah. So that's not in this, that like that document, the white document, um, or the other, the the one they call the C the uh, cosmic cosmic death fungus. Yeah, that um, the CDF one and the other one don't have that third stage in there yet because I'm still working through formatting. Like the math is basically done on all these components that have been knocked out of place by pathogens, particularly fungi. But I can I can give that to. Uh, I can give that to you, Shane, if you want, and you can post it later. Yeah, I, I'll do that. Later. Okay. It's and, and again, if you if you go because I again a lot of this is is kind of DYOR, of course, but look at those steps and stages: uh, the AADC, the INMT, the uh, MAO, those are the monoamine oxidase issues that are caused by Cryptococcus in particular and microglia interactions. Those all present themselves pretty clearly in the data. Um, but the I can go over actually right now verbally too, as well as giving it to Shane. So it's basically tryptophan. Uh, in my case, I do I, I keep it low. I always go with the lowest amount that's still going to tick the box. So the tryptophan uh, for direct intake, I take 500 milligrams of that. Uh, Sam E, I take 400 milligrams, and that is um, the atomet side of those uh, methylation processes. The P5P which is a B6 step in, uh, that I take 100 milligrams, and that's that's the AADC stage, so that supports that side. The other two, which the NACIT, uh, not everyone in the group uses that. I use it because it. Uh, I have a lot. I had a lot of eye issues before I started getting better. Like I had uh, 
MGD, which is myeloma gland dysfunction and macular degen happening both at the same time. And removing the fungi just with the initial antifungals took that out of my body completely. So NACAD is really good at uh, tapping the mitochondria in your retinas and in your eye. So I use that as well, but it's also to help methylation for this DMT buildup. So that's NACET, N-A-C-E-T, and that's just 100 milligrams. Uh, that's a really low bio load on that one too. And then the last one I have in my uh, math is selenocysteine. And selenocysteine, the only source that I've found in Western markets is through uh, that other company I mentioned a bit ago, Life Extension, and it's 100 micrograms. Very, very small amount, but you don't really need much. Uh, even, you know, all the data kind of supports that too. Uh, some people go with selenomethionine. I don't like that one as much myself just because it looks like there's a little more bioactivity and bio load that you have to take in. And I, again, I try to keep these numbers as low as possible with the greatest effect for my own testing. And that's what I would outlay there. Thank you very much for that. And are you taking that once a day? And at what, what time are you taking all that stuff? Um, because I'm mostly trying the LVRD, uh, I'm sorry, the LDRV stuff in the evening um, at night. So I'm taking this every other because you don't really, the way that it builds up the DMT stores, you don't really, it shows you don't really need to have it constantly pushed all the time because of that 14-day cycling that the vesicles do with the amount that's able to be stored. Uh, so you don't need to constantly top it off real heavy. So I'm I'm like Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of with that scheduling. And I've actually, as an offset to that, I found if I, because I did try testing like nightly when I first came up with the pieces of this that fill in that map for the dimethyltryptamine, um, I tried nightly. And by the third or fourth night consecutive, I noticed I didn't have the same intensity or control on the LDs as I do when I gap it out by a night at least every time. Hey, Seth, I got a yeah. quick question. Sure, so sure. Garrett had mentioned, can you tell everybody about the, the pharaohs and wine as in the difference between the common people? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so, you know, the common thing in ancient Egypt was uh, bread and beer. That's how you got paid, kind of. Um, you know, it's how you made your wage. It's how you made your living. It's how you got through life. Um, there's a lot of tie-ins, obviously, with, like, ISIS and and yeast and bread and beer and all that so the what i've been seeing um for for quite a while with that is that that was used as a i don't say this the wrong way like a really base control system back in that era you know it's it was a little bit beyond you know keep them dumbed down uh but that's kind of what it seemed like and if you look at the age brackets that happened it also kind of exemplifies that so you have you know common age median roughly was about 20 to 25 years old for a man in ancient Egypt. And you look by contrast at the pharaohs and they're like 70, 80, 90 years old. It's like four or five times the lifespan. And I think that's a twofold thing. I think they probably weren't as um, heavy on the bread and beer intake because they had other resources and other ways to, to get their food intake. But also, I'm sure they kind of had an idea roughly of what was going on with that. And they kind of kept the populace where it was by keeping that in the mix, um, if, that, if that explains that well enough there. Um, I would say, too, that these another thing that's interesting is if you go back to certain um, well-known pharaohs, some of them had these uh, issues that look really um, 
through the right lens anyway, they, they very much look like like fungal issues that it had time to ramp up and display, you know, like like bone dysplasias, um, certain types of heart disease. Um, you know, we're finding in the research we're doing, we're finding some some like uh, skin issue complications. So like malassezia is a species I haven't mentioned a whole lot, but malassezia is one that's really common in the environment, uh, more of a desert ish kind of species roughly and there were a lot of pharaohs that had issues with psoriasis and things like that eczema and so on and that turns out in a lot of cases um, like seborrheic dermatitis is really an over push of sebum and that's really maneuvered by malassezia and that's out in pub on pubmed and nih2 and then what happens is the the complication you get those fungal affined or finidate bacteria that then show up and, and take advantage of that sebum overproduction that malassezia is causing. And there's a big loop and a cycle that gets going in there. So you can start seeing these lifespans being longer by mostly avoiding what they could for yeast intake or more, or, you know, fungi intake. And then they're getting old enough that you're starting to see like those long-term issues I'm talking about where like you're not seeing the initial onsets happen quick and take them out at a young age, like you do in the general populace in Egypt, you're seeing those extended versions, like the slow burn, low grade fungal infections that take you out over life. Um, you know, it's, it's funny actually going back to the, some of the older stuff, Greeks knew about that too. So, you know, a lot of us realize or know that like medicine essentially really started in the way we think of it now in Greece. And they had, um, is everybody familiar with the four humors kind of? Uh, like the four humors of early medicine, there was like a black, red, green, yellow, I think were the four. And they used them to indicate different things that your body would be like or do in response to certain things. Um, one of them was the the green humor. Uh, or, you know, they also called it phlegmatic, which should tell you something right there. But essentially the math was with the Greeks that if you didn't get taken out by, you know, combat or other drastic issues in life that eventually the phlegmatic conditions would be what took you out and that kind of lines right up with this whole idea of the fungi being the base of the pyramid for disease that are always kind of in there and then they grind you down over time until as the greeks said it phlegmatic conditions are the things that will get you in the end yeah so so guys i'm gonna actually in this space here shortly is there anything you want to say to wrap this up? One of the reasons I want to kind of end it and make sure that you have all your information out. I'm going to actually go to the start of this, start it when you talk and kind of end it here. So people have your space because this is awesome information and the, the thread's full of it as well. So if you have questions, let's ask them now. And Seth, if you have anything else you want to piggyback on. Plus my third eye is pulsing and I need to go remote view. That's just how I know. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, we covered a lot of stuff I would usually bring up in this kind of conversation. Um, I, I do have a lot of stuff on my feed. So if anyone wants more, just poke around there. Uh, I've got little hints and pokes that I've put out to people. And, you know, if you know anyone that 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 would be interested in it, I mean, I'm, my DMs are open. I don't care. Like, just send me a message. It might take me a bit to get back to you, but I'm willing to have conversations privately, too. Um, that, but, yeah, I really think we covered a lot of the bases. Um, I would say that I, I, you know, just to summarize everything, um, I see this is potentially what has been told in the legends as like the ways the NHIs or old gods, whatever you want to call them, have cleared out humanity when it gets to certain points. You know, sometimes it's a flood myth. 
Mesopotamia, I would say go back to the Gilgamesh legends. Uh, Mesopotamia and Akkadian stuff is a great route. Um, so that's where I really see all this rooting from and then kind of build up over time. And now these diseases have set in and they've clamped us off from something that should have been our natural biology at the least. And at a very far extension of that, the Promethean gift itself of the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it. Um, I see that as being what was stripped out by these pathogens. And it's a real quiet, insidious control system uh, like Gary and Lou and Tom talk about. Go back and read some of their tweets. They kind of reference this stuff too, not as directly as I do. I don't know that's part of their disclosure thing or what, but it, they also, you can kind of poke around in other areas with these guys and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hey, man, I want to say thanks for the conversation we had the other night. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, like three hours of just talking about this, and I was just bouncing stuff off. We'll get to Jewel real quick, and then we're going to let Seth end it. Well, let Seth wrap it up, and then the rest of the hosts can talk. So go ahead, Jewel. Oh, hi. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, we can hear you. Great. Go ahead. Um, first of all, I just want to say I'm so glad to hear you back on in this kind of space, old vet, uh, Shane. I've been a big fan, and um, of course, Astral and it's always heartwarming to hear your story. Um, but Seth, thank you so much for sharing this information. Um, my question was basically, do you, does one need to get a diagnosis for this? And if so, which practitioner would you recommend going to see to have the diagnosis? Or if you have a history of any of these ailments that you discussed, is it uh, after getting approval from your doctor, uh, is it wise or is it appropriate just to start this protocol? Thank you. Yes. Seth, did you hear her? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> just give it one second, Jewel. Okay. And that's the great way to get a follow, man. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's sweet, too. No, we yeah, definitely he's... need to get him back in here, man. That was a great discussion tonight. Yeah. Oh, he may he may just bounced out. So, Jewel, I can kind of ask me. And so here's what we were saying earlier. You should. Ah, here he comes. I'm going to let him handle it. Okay. Uh, were you able to hear my question, Seth? Well, hold on. He's, he's, he's having a little trouble getting yeah. up here. Let me, hey, Seth, do me a favor. Uh, leave the space, exit the app, come back in real quick. It's just a bug that happened, and I'll bring you right back up. It takes a second. Yes, this but fascinating what, information. Did, thank you for having him on. No, thank you. Stick around. He'll be right back, and he'll he'll actually wrap it up then. Fringe, Astro, you got anything you guys want to say real quick? No, I'm just very thankful for the space. Uh, I apologize for my meltdown earlier. You, you got me, Shane, I have to, have to say. Uh, I, I just very much appreciate Seth, and the timing of this for me is just fantastic, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Seth and Shane and Astral, and to everyone who came up and spoke. Now we can hear you. Go for it, Seth. Um. So... I guess it depends. I mean, I, I, again, you know, it's really hard because I'm not a clinician. Um, I will say that the clinicians that have um, checked the protocol out for other people, um, including myself, and also I have some contacts who are clinicians that uh, are direct contacts that help kind of check my notes 
um, they're they're kind of in the the idea that it doesn't hurt to to try. And these are people who didn't have a diagnosis. Just to put that kind of address that question, they didn't have a diagnosis, but they still got the same returns as everybody else who tried these stages of protocoling. So um, I would say if you have other like underlying concerns, especially with doctors that you're already familiar with and used to working with, it doesn't hurt to run this by them because the, the compounds themselves are, are, like I say, they're pretty tame, um, you know, going by what you would normally put into a body as far as like, you know, supplements or whatever you want to call it. Um, probably the, the one that hits people the hardest would be the oregano oil at first. But I think that's just because a lot of people have such a, you know, a load of these things and just don't know it. You know, we all have kind of, well, I should say this a little differently. It looks like and seems like from anecdote and from my own personal experience and all the people I know in person that we all had a biome issue that we weren't aware of that this helped correct. I guess is a good way I can word that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt to involve your physicians. You might not need a specific diagnosis. And there are some that just aren't tuned into this enough. Um, and when I say that, it's a lot of this is recent in the world of immunocompetent, you know, people that are considered immunocompetent. Uh, these fungi usually aren't considered to be something we would run into much. But SARS-CoV-2 and then after that long COVID started um, kind of highlighting a lot of these issues because a lot of the, and if you go out and look at it now within the last probably half a year to a year, that has become more of a common consideration that there are a lot of immuno compromisation and autoimmune issues that are coming up because of long COVID. And that's usually, you know, in my instance, it was something genetic. And I think that those genetic malfunctions um, have a smaller presentation in most of the, of, of the population in general. You know, I'm just talking all people to some degree probably have some aspect of this that's, that's uh, riling up their system. Um, you know, I, I talk about APSID a lot. There are others like chronic mucocutaneous candidiasis is one, uh, familial candidiasis is another. And if you know um, the areas to go and look at, like fiend, uh, like like genome-related information, like fiend gene is a good one, um, you can actually see these charts that'll show you, if you go and look up familial candidiasis, it'll show you that as the start for some of these errors in the genome. And you can see all these other related, it'll give you like a whole map of other related syndromes and so on that trace back to that as the initial break, so to speak. Um, so I would say even if you don't have an official diagnosis, there's probably some benefit you can find there, um, just in the just in the interest of like kind of getting your your biome to to be more cooperative to your system and not friendly to the pathogenic side. If I may uh, just add one other thing, it's. Um... <sighs> There's such a synchronicity to this space. Like I came on to hear about UFOs and ESP, and and now I'm listening to something that was very needed in my life. Um, but just uh, very quickly uh, after exposure to COVID, my uh, son at the time I think was 17, and he ended up with a uh, uh, fungus and had to take the few. Fucol, the, the medication that you had to take, the anti-fungal, uh, to, um, and then the, um, and then my husband post-COVID has an autoimmune disorder now, 
uh, affecting his skin. And then I have been, um, I've had an autoimmune uh, disease since I was 27. So it's just very, very interesting. I can't wait to try some of these protocols. Uh, I will discuss it with, with my doctor, but I'm just, I'm already expecting pushback. So that's why I was wondering if there was a particular practitioner to seek out. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, so just wanted to add that. It's very intriguing. Thank you. Sure. Hey, go ahead, Sue, what you got? Um, I just want to ask real quick. My mom is starting with mild dementia. Would this also be something, you know, obviously talking to doctors, but would it be also something that would benefit her? Uh, I Well, I put a link uh, up a little bit ago on the thread chain. I don't know if, it got, if you had a chance to put it in the nest there, but um, they actually just identified what has been usually considered Alzheimer's. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's, there are some splits. There are probably some other cross sections of, of AD and, and dementia related complications that don't fit the fungal model, but they fit other like viral and, and bacterial model because your, your body doesn't want to change that amyloid production. Uh, really, it's, it wants to stay pretty stable, but it gets leveraged by these. So to answer your question about dementia, I can give you an anecdote first, and then I would point you to that article too, because it gives a couple good references to check out. Um, but uh, again, going back to the gentleman that uh, I know that had polio when he was young, uh, I took him uh, parts of this protocol early on, like probably March of 22, because he asked, you know, he, he had kind of seen the change in, in myself and my wife, and he's known us for a long time. So he said, you know, what, what's going on with you guys? Like, you're acting totally different. Things are, you know, you seem way healthier and all this stuff. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll bring you up a couple of the pieces and, and, and check it with your doctor, you know, because he's the Quint Bypass guy, too. So he's a real complicated health on his end. Um, and I got up there about 11 in the morning to visit with him. And he was at the point with dementia. He wasn't Alzheimer's uh, to that degree or anything. hasn't got hadn't progressed that far. But he did have a lot of like the hitching in his speech and the word hunting and so on, like happens with the dementia stages as you work up through towards more complicated dementia issues. Um, and I, I watched from 11 a.m. until about four or five in the afternoon when we headed back home. Uh, it, it's like it just melted off him. Like the hitching in his speech pattern stopped, the word hunting stopped. Uh, he was like all of a sudden telling like eh, short ones at first, but he was like relaying stories all of a sudden from like childhood and stuff that I've known this guy for a very long time. I've never heard him tell these stories before. And he was just like, like he's like it just happened yesterday for him. So I would say that it, it shows an anecdote and in the data that there's some impact and, and positive turns to be had there. But again, you know, I, I also recommend cross-checking everything I say um, with, you know, the data that's available out there. Cause that's how I started all this too. Um, if anyone's looking for a quick tip there, uh, by the way, and I, I was going to save this for a thread later, but I'll just mention it now uh, myself and, and the guy that founded the Institute, who's a professor over in Norway, university of Tromso, uh, we're getting ready to ramp up an open research initiative. And it's going to be centered around invasive fungal disease and antimicrobial research on one side, one arm. And the other arm is going to be um, basically the, the dimethyltryptamine side and the uh, psionics and psychedelia side. 
as another arm of that open research initiative. So I'll keep everyone posted on that. But one of the tricks I learned early on with this is like go to PubMed, go to their actual website, and you have there's a search function there where you can call the articles by year. So go from like 2020 up till current and search for these related to, you know, like yeast or candida or aspergillus or cryptococcus and start cross-referencing that against these other issues. And again, because of the way SARS-CoV-2 hit everything so hard, so fast everywhere globally, these started presenting themselves more and more in the immunocompetent populations. And you'll see those, those points reflected in the data. Does that help? Okay. Yes, you thank you. All right, guys. So I'm going to wrap it up right now. Fringe has a space at what time, Fringe? You want to tell everybody, and then we'll let Astral talk as well, and then I'll go. Uh, in about 45 minutes, 6.30 Pacific. All right. Make sure you guys are there. Astral? Oh, this has been great, man. Uh, appreciate you having us up. It's been a great discussion. It's been recorded, so go back and listen to it. Appreciate you having me on. Seth's been great, man. Um, jump up back in the spaces, man. We'd love to hear more, more from you, man. It's been you a great have, discussion. You should talk in astral space, Seth. That would be super appropriate. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, anyone that wants to have more information given, whatever I've got that I can share, I'm happy to, definitely. And I, I want to say that thank you, Seth, for coming in here. And this space actually was amazing, and our conversation the other day was amazing too. But it was cool to talk to Seth because our brains work very similar. And it was just, as we're sitting there discussing things, I was bringing some of the UFO shit. I'm just like, oh, so that's this. And it was just cool to listen to someone else talk about this stuff and come from a different, completely different. This is stuff that I, that makes complete sense to me right now, knowing what I know, but I didn't have that until I talked to Seth. I had no idea, right? So do me a favor, make sure you follow him, follow all my speakers, uh, co-hosts, hosts, donate to Wounded Warrior. And uh, just be nice to each other, right? We can be in these rooms and just talk about RV, UFOs, and shit. And this shit's amazing. So thank you guys for being here. I'm going to start to do more of these spaces, talk about more stuff. Some will be uncomfortable. MK Ultra, some of the stuff I went through, programs. And who knows, you know, maybe other kids, they see the lighthouse, which is some of the people talking about that these programs existed. And they just, you know, they have a place to go to ask questions because... This didn't exist for a long time. So thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you retweet the space, man. Seth, again, thank you. I see you down there, Jordan. What's up, everybody? Take it easy. All right. Thanks for having me. Later. Rage. In the womb is when these things are really setting up shop. It's called the tubes. It would be like your neural tubes and all that. They're already in there, kind of like attached to your sheet of cells that are going to become the you that you know. So that brings me to the big point here with... Um, the NHI connection, because I, I got to tell you all, uh, I'm I'm not sold on it being ETs. Uh, just I'll be blunt about that. I do think it's something that's definitely not human. Um, again, like Adam was saying a minute ago, it's kind of hard to put your finger on that. Really what they would be besides something that's kind of tapping us here and there. Um, so where this all comes down is that the brain infections and these other bodily infections are actually changing the way that you express certain uh, parts of your genome. So like uh, DMT, I talk a lot about endogenous DMT in my work, and you'll see that if you go through my, my feed at all. Um, we focus on that because we see a bunch of issues that are driven by pathogens, and the bottom of that pyramid really looks to be these, these invasive fungal diseases. Um, Aspergillus is a big one. 
they've started to tie that to something called silent aspergillosis, and that's out in the data, so you can search PubMed for that. And what that actually is really tied to is autism spectrum disorder. So they found out uh, kind of by accident, there's a couple of case reports on this that are getting a lot of attention lately, where they administered a couple azole class drugs, so triazoles, that are usually just meant for um, you know antifungal treatment, basically. And it cleared all autism spectrum um, symptoms for this person in the case report. So I started digging in because we had a bunch of people uh, report during this protocol chasing, because we're a bunch of, basically the group is really uh, glorified biohackers is what I would say. Um, so we kind of piece things together. We all realized, wait a second, one of us took some antifungals, that was me uh, and, and someone else I know very close. Uh, we both got put on antifungals right after COVID. So this is like late 21, uh, December of 21, actually. I was just talking with Shane about this the other night. And um, it cleared so many symptoms. Like I'm talking, for me, I was born with a murmur. That was one of the things for my dysplasia is I had this murmur in my upper left uh, that was really an issue all growing up and everything else. And I'm almost 50 at this point. And two years ago, that murmur, because of these antifungals, just disappeared. I'm talking like day five or six, it's gone. So this is what, what I'm kind of getting at with these things being ingrained in our system. And I think the best way to think about them, um, and bear with me because I ran back here. I was on errands. So I'm trying to like get this all kind of encapsulated real quick. But if you think about yourself as a substrate for your consciousness, um, and what I'm going to say here is, is really related to the way that we build the structures that our body is made out of that I see our consciousness from above attaching to in a way. So you have these things, microtubules, tubulin. It's like the smallest structures that make up your neurons and your astroglia and your uh, microglia, all those cells in there. And those are, those are um, if you look at Orco, our theory from Hameroff, Dr. Hameroff and uh, Roger Penrose, they talk a lot about this orchestrated objective reduction that they see as the, the real frame.